All right, so I'm here with Abigail, Mitch, um, Sherry, and Cal. And Sherry and Cal are probably both both naked. That's why their cameras are off. So, and that's all we'll say. And we're just gonna dig into scripture, and uh, they'll chime in and let us know when we're wrong and stuff like that. So, and just, that? just just to clarify, Jason, Jay, um, I'm in Canada, and Cal is in the United States of America. Okay. So our na nakedness is, you know, oh, not really. yeah, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that is a good thing to, to clarify. <laughs> Naked as a jaybird was the term. That was See, that, I thought that was a very southern United States kind of phrase, but I guess not. Naked as a jaybird. <laughs> yeah, where did that come from? That's an interesting phrase for someone mm -hmm. to come up with. So what's that? What's that bear you held up? Abigail? Oh, yes, this is green, green. Gregory. So the other day I was walking home and I saw him in a tree, like all wet and muddy. So I was like, no one else is going to take this bear home. So I did. I washed him off and I've literally been holding this bear belt like all day for the past week. It's what surprisingly an, comforting. What an interesting find a stuffed bear in a tree. <laughs> And a green tree is like a piece of, it's like something people use in climbing to like delay and like do the rope. And I just think it's a funny word. It's like the perfect name. I love him so much. Wisdom, love is stored in the green tree. Nice. Well, so do we want to do Ecclesiastes, I guess? Look at that. Still, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm, I'm fine with that. Are we still stuck on the, the list, the time for this, the time for that? You I think to... we did read past it and what got us stuck last time is just very time related stuff about uh, how God has ordained everything from beginning to end and no one can add to it, whatever has already been. I think we got through verse 15. Um, yeah, but you were saying that you just keep getting drawn back to yeah, the, I beginning, did the beginning of chapter three because these things seem... But it got so ugly last time that uh, I don't even know. We may just it was great. come back to it as we see fit. Uh, and and fit, we could read 15 through the, through the remainder. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's we your turn, it. I think. All right, fine. All or fine. Abigail can read it. Or share she's, your she's, she's got it memorized in song. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I, I can read it if you want. Unless you want to. It's up to you. All right, I'll go ahead. All right. That as you said, 15 is where we're at. I don't know. I'll start there. That which has all right, that which is has already been, and that was and and what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart, concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and all return to dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage, for who can bring him to see what will happen after him? That's now our chapter four. All right. Got any thoughts? 
Just questions, man. What yeah, advantage does, does man have over the animals? I don't know. Mine has a little note at the bottom that says... Uh, Is it a commentary or a footnote? Um, it says Septuagint, Syriac, Targum, and Vulgate read, who knows whether the spirit of the animal goes, or the spirit of the man goes upward, or whether the spirit of the animal goes downward. Um, because when I read it, it makes it sound like the spirit of man goes up and the animal goes down. Um, but this is saying, who knows whether one goes this way or that way, which I don't know why that really matters. I think it's just basically saying like, it says I'll go to the same place anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it was just maybe a note kind of making that correction where people are usually will say that animals go to hell. <laughs> you know, that, that. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward or if the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth. So what did, does the does man have any advantage over the animal? Um I mean, I would think I would think at least to some degree. I like the comparison to animals though. Like it reminds me of when uh, God compares uh, King Nebuchadnezzar to like the beast. He tells him, he's, "You've been you've been given the heart of a beast, or something like that." Uh, so I don't know. I don't. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts. You got? You got anything? I'm obsessed with with uh, something very shallow right now. As I'm thinking about uh, Ecclesiastes in general. And the shallow thing that I'm obsessed with, which I think you already know, is uh, the eternal life bit. Um, and so I, I just, it feels like everything is going to be this stomping treatise about how you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. That's why nothing matters, because you will die. And the, the only solution to that is if there's eternal life. So it's the only thing that I think about because like everything I'm reading is like every every attempt you 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 make at meaning uh, is more non-meaning because of the death thing. Uh, you think you're better than the animals, you're gonna die just like them. I mean, arguably not. There's like optimistic nihilists, which uh, oh. Somebody has been abducted. Um, there's like optimistic nihilists, which are like, well, yes, the death of the universe, but meaning is meaningful even if it ends chronologically. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely in, Ecclesi in Ecclesiastes, it's like death. And to be honest, to me, that hits. I'm like, if I'm just going to die and leave forever, then it really doesn't feel very meaningful to me personally. If you're gonna die and live forever, it doesn't mean leave, uh, leave forever and like. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, me neither. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's true across the board. Of course, that's a big overstep on my part. Uh, but my feeling is that's probably true across the board for everyone. I if you don't, there's some people who genuinely aren't bothered by like. Yeah, this is this is my terrible thing that I say is that they actually are, which is enormously uh, hubristic of me uh, to to say that. Like, but uh, maybe. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So I'm stuck there. I'm stuck on the eternal life thing. There's people who say that eternal life is 
because to me is this gets more into just like not just death versus an infinite extended linear lifetime but like time itself seeing time less in a linear way in a chronological way but in a more seeing time more like space but is that impersonal in that model mm -hmm. is that is there still a personal like soul in that model that's continuing in the outside of linear time to me i think that there is um yeah and i think wait what was oh yeah saying? eternal life being a quality and not or like eternal life being primarily not about the like infinite extended linear time even though yes technically but it about being it being about more of like a like a quality a certain way of, which is sort of sounds like a platitude and I don't quite understand it but there are some times when I think I I know what they're talking about like it's a certain immediacy and a certain like if you're piercing if you're living like at a certain depth of reality the experience is like one of eternity even though things are always changing it's like I don't know yeah Jason shared that with me before and others uh but this is why this is exactly what I'm calling the position I'm, I'm putting for it a little shallow is because it's saying like, no, 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 it has to be like ongoing number of days. Like this is the thing, it has to be. Uh, and I, I don't see a way in which there's fulfillment without that. And I think that that might be what the teacher in Ecclesiastes is saying too. I think there's probably something to that. Like I'm hesitant. I I thought so quantit uh, quantit Cal, I need your help quantitatively quantitative. speech speech therapist here um quantitative. No, like I swung I start to swing so hard to the other other side to where it's like all I really try to see things in a more quality aspect and then um I need to be careful not to go in too far into the ditch that way either because I do think there is um there's both working together um so it is uh an endless and it is an endless number of days as well i think um but it's just like uh yeah it's like i mean like where people describe it as a spiral right it's just like a it's and it's endless in that way it's just a, a pattern repeating over and over is Which the sound? spiral model personal oh what do you mean by that exactly is there room for a personal soul in the spiral model why why wouldn't there be what do you mean uh, i don't know so when you're talking about a spiral is it history repeating itself or is it um i don't think it's i i mean i don't necessarily is it I kind guess, of a reincarnation kind of thing reincarnation like you like you come back to earth and repeat like how is the soul how is the personal soul continuing in that in that cycle oh i see what you're saying um yeah i don't know um this may be kind of related to what we just talked about with jed too it's like um that because we were talking about even people are trying to upload their consciousness consciousness now and things like that into forms of technology and he was saying he held up a book and he was like you know people have been doing this already with like leaving books behind so in a way you're leaving a part of your soul behind in that way 
and then it's even being embedded in a larger body. If you think it's about not George, consciousness, is it? Uh, no, but I wonder how much it's related to like, because like even with George McDonald, like uh, he has a, a portion in everybody that reads his work now. And he's like almost, um, his soul is in a way kind of, um, I guess you could maybe argue is being reincarnated within other people that are at least a, a portion of what he, what his intelligence, I guess you could say, is being imparted into other people and being reincarnated in that way. But politically, I, yeah, that hits. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, poetically, it hits. It just doesn't seem to have anything to do with George himself. You know, poor George. It was all vain for him in the end because he died. Uh, so while he might have enjoyed the the sense looking forward in the days preceding his death that that people might that he his ideas and stories might live on through people and his specific thoughts. Uh, he doesn't get to enjoy it and it's like he said earlier it's like who will know if the next king is going to rule in the same good way so george could be like who's going to know if um if people are going to throw my books in the trash heap and never pick them up and it's like because i can't know that because i'm going to die it's a vanity it's really sounds so bleak <laughs> well i don't think it's bleak and the reason i don't think it's bleak is because i'm personally convicted that there is eternal life and it is a personal uh, individual soul eternities yeah well can you say more about that then because i mean i'm i would agree that i think it's it is personal as well as like communal but why why is it not bleak if it's if he's well if the if the problem that's causing the bleakness is death then death being destroyed and, and eternal life being offered is the solution to the bleakness. I read Hebrews today, and uh, I liked in eight where it said, you know, the ministry Jesus received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. And if you think about the promises of the old covenant, it was that you would live long and prosper, basically. But uh, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, the preacher is saying, yeah, I prospered uh, and uh, I have X amount of days, but it's still meaningless if you, if you think it all the way through, because I can't know what's going to come after me and I can't live to enjoy it. And I can't live to see how people are going to treat the work that I've left behind. Do you think and, the meaninglessness uh, like bleeds over into like after he dies or do you think it's just under the sun? Um, I think it's meaningless if he truly dies. Like in memory, you mean? I mean, well? if his personal consciousness ceases to be. But if his personal consciousness goes on, then there is true meaning. But I, okay. So like in Hebrews 11 too, it was saying, or in 11, Hebrews 11, it was saying, uh, or in 12 rather, maybe it was, no, it was 11. It was saying that, uh, to look for the city that have foundations. Is it that yeah, part? 
Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and they were at the Abraham because it was saying, and so from this one man, and he's as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and countless and sin on the seashore. Uh, these people are still living by faith when they die. Uh, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. This seems like there's some hope in them too of, of a hereafter. I don't know. I so always that I, I'm getting obsessed with something that it may seem really uh, shallow, uh, but I think it's like the the turnkey here. I don't think that the Jews believed in that kind of an afterlife. Well, from what I've heard, never mind. I don't know enough about Judaism today for sure, but I know that it wasn't a big focus of theirs, and that sort of more vague than the Christian ideas specifically of like resurrection. Although as far as I remember, Judaism does have a concept, both Judaism, Christianity, and Islam do. Of resurrection of the dead. Yeah, and I think it even goes on, like when he was being asked to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise, God could even raise the dead. Uh, yeah. So there, there was, the, the faith is, is always, nested in this notion of, of a hereafter. Uh, and, um, and all suffering is like tied to, to some reward over and over again. It's tied to like a glory that, yeah, that comes after or something. Mm -hmm. Like the, the first, the first serving second, right? The older, the old Adam is like serving the, the, the new man, the old man serves the old man. New man or something. The man of clay serves the heavenly man. What was that comment I got from one of our classes? I thought it was really good. It was saying something like that. Like the uh, Adam, this man, the, the first man is the the firstborn and the older shall serve the younger. It serves the, the heavenly man in a way. Okay. Yeah, it's really... Yeah. Wait, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you, you go. No, I just, I mean, I, I think I agree with you. I'm just, I'm not sure I'm tracking right. I feel like usually when we start these, we kind of fish around for a little bit until we like really hit on something too, but I... I feel bad because I it, keep bringing the same thing up. Well, I mean, I think you're right. It's, to me, like I said before, to me, this is the most meaningful book to me. Uh, maybe it's just me, like the more I, I read it, uh, a lot of people, I think, will avoid it because it sounds bleak and it sounds like everything's meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. But I think for that reason, it, it like I said, it causes me to shift my focus on things that are eternal and not and not meaningless. But, exactly right. If, if all of this is meaningless, where then should I reach? Where then should my eyes go? Because, I mean, this is, this is a mess. The other half of that, I guess, being at least the Christian emphasis on the particular and on the like value of the finite and body and the created world, even though it's like under corruption, I guess, rather than 
saying forget all of that and trying to go for some sort of abstract kind of kind of heaven or kind of spiritual realm. I say this as somebody who's lived most of her life um, basically trying to do that. And I sort of still do. And like with words, especially, I think that's a lot of what feels to me in words is that to me, they feel permanent. They feel eternal. Are you saying people materialize heaven? I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, um, quite the opposite. Just okay. that I guess, I guess, uh, well, because Jason said something about, or you were talking about uh, what to hold on to, you know, what's eternal and putting focus in the right places. That's also a kind of, there's ditches with that too, though, because of like, you can not even see what's in front of you and you can just have, I think it's about making the, it's about re remembering and resurrecting and participating in the resurrection here and now even. So taking the things that are finite and that we don't want to lose and like preserving them in a way and remembering them. Um, but a lot of, especially modern like pop, not pop, what was the word for it? I don't know, like modern Christianity is sometimes there's a misunderstanding of like, okay, the, the whole natural world that we can see is totally useless. And we should just think about this abstract like idea of heaven because that's the only permanent thing. And it's like, mm, mm. I see what you're saying. I think well, maybe because I'm kind of watching the pendulum swing here. And maybe that's why I want to like emphasize the eternal because I am, I'm watching the pendulum swing. And it depends on what social circle you're in at what sort of time and what their, their kind of emphasis is. But it does seem like the, the, the eternal uh, realm is given a, a higher, a higher priority, uh, even at even at the same time where you're you're constantly told how to interact in this world and in this life and and how to best care for the circumstances you have now. But it does seem like there's an, uh, do you, do you think that there's a priority on the next life in the Christian imagination? Well, what what's that line from Oh Hello's? Um, You've been to, yeah. <laughs> oh no, you've been too busy thinking ahead where we're all going after we're dead to me. Oh dear me, me. You've been too busy thinking ahead where we're all going after we're dead to me. Maybe consider our bodies are worth more than the dust that we can return to the ground again. Actually, the Ohalo's entire, most of their songs sort of are about this theme. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, about sort of in putting more nuance and into the idea of, okay, we die and then this whole world vanishes and we just go somewhere else that's totally different and that's heaven and perfect and that's all that matters. Having it more be like a, the kingdom is within us and let it come down in each moment, even now, tying now into the eternal. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, Jason, this is like all the musical. Right? I'm really here for Oh, yeah. The, Are you going to sing next? The you melodic should, bits. No, take it away, Vince. Take it away. Um, uh, no, that's a good point. This, has, this might be related. So when me and Luke Johnston were just talking with Jed earlier, we were talking about technology and everything, like I said. And, and uh, there's this proper, you know, Jed was saying there's, there's like a, Christians aren't involved in this conversation as much as they should be. And there's like a proper way to engage with technology. And I told him, I'm going to have to like, 
almost like rework that definition in my head because uh, it seems uh, when I think technology, I think of something very mechanical, but it's like, I need to get back to uh, this idea he was bringing up was, um, and I think it was either Luke or Jed, one of them said the, the phrase like sacramental and uh, where everything is sacred. So every everything here, everything that is um, in Ecclesiastes, everything that is under the sun is sacramental. It's mm -hmm. sacred and it's all, and I, that's why I really, really like when Jacob pointed out that the word it's vanity, iconic. yeah, the word vanity is actually able. It's Abel's name. And so it's the breath, the exhale of the breath. So everything here is sacramental. It's a sacrifice and it's precious and holy in that way, but it is the exhale of the breath. And so even our flesh is like the first technology we get from God is he clothes us with skin, right? He gives us garments of skin. And that's like the first, the first cup, the first garment of skin, the first covering you get. And then we're adding more and more onto that. So like you would cut down a tree to build a house, but even that tree and in, in you cutting down the tree, it's sacramental. And ultimately that house is fleeting, the tree is fleeting, but you still engage in it in this weird uh, communal way. Uh, and it, but it's, it's reverent and it's holy and it's, uh, the, the dust, yeah, the dust of your feet, the dust you're made of is the same dust you're made of. And it's like, it's all, it's all sacramental. Does that make sense? That makes and a lot of sense. And it's I all able. That's a great analogy. It might, uh, it sounds to me like what you're saying, you have to correct me is, well, it reminds me, and Hebrews is covering a lot of what I'm thinking about this right now. By calling the this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. What is obsolete now dated will soon disappear. But it was like totally sacred in its time. It's like this is everything is so valuable. It's very precise in its ornamentation and it, its processes. Uh, extremely sacred, uh, but I think ultimately passing away. It, you get in Hebrews twelve two. Once more, I'll shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The word once more indicated the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and all for our God is consumed with life. Yeah, the, the sacramental thing seems like a really good analogy. Yeah, and it's interesting because he says, what is it in Hebrews where he says the blood of the blood of Abel still speaks? Yeah, that's so right. So it's yeah. like, it's, what it's, it's still... Uh, it's, it's Ecclesiastes, like everything's crying out, Abel, 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 Abel. Everybody, everything's crying out for to be reconciled with God, because everything's everything's having to pass through death, and so everything's like everything on earth is Abel, Abel, crying out. Uh, I mean, I think it it works on just the, the the simple fact that Abel's blood went back into the earth and everything, but I think it it works on that that multifaceted level of two is where. Where everything everything is sacramental ultimately and you offer up your body as a living sacrifice type thing um that's right man and then the hit the blood of christ speaks a better word than the blood of abel it's the the old covenant versus the new covenant that is to say the old covenant is to everything under the sun as the new covenant is to, to new heaven and new earth Okay, here's a here's a thought. Because um, I haven't read Ecclesiastes for like, I don't know, a long time, 40 years, something like that. <laughs> um, but I recently heard that the book of Job, my favorite book, 
is um, is initiates all of the wisdom literature. So it always stood before all the rest, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, right? And when I heard that, I thought, okay, so if you want to initiate a person into the wisdom literature, what, what, it, what, what exactly, and just, I'm just throwing this question out there, what exactly do you want them to understand about, about the rest of it that's coming by what, you, but by what they read in the book of Job? Like, what is it that the book of Job is saying that is preparing the hearer for the rest of that wisdom literature? It's the most comprehensive narrative that uh, speaks to, to the fear of the Lord and, and to his ultimate authority and to his place. I, it's the perfect place to start, really. Well, there's that, but I actually, I think what it is, is that you, that you really don't know anything. That's really it. You, <laughs> you really don't know anything, you know, and that, and it seems to me from what I remember from reading Ecclesiastes, and it's been a long time, that that is essentially the conclusion that, you know, that he comes to is that, oh, shit, I really don't, don't know anything, Yeah, <laughs> you know, I yeah. don't know anything, but, you know, the and I'll just say this, and, um, and then you guys can continue on. But one of the things that always struck me about Ecclesiastes, I was like, wait a minute, isn't that fornication? Aren't you ill? Like, how come, what? Nobody's saying anything about this stuff? It's okay? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was doing, reading Ecclesiastes once upon a time, right? And then, and then going, oh, okay. And but it's good, it's okay that he went through all that because in the end he realizes that he doesn't, wasn't really satisfied. So Sunday school answer, only Jesus satisfies you, right? And if that's what, if that's what you find out on your journey, then it's all allowable. It's all okay, right? Somehow that gets woven into Ecclesiastes, don't you think? It's like, it's like the he who is who well, how does that go um he is, for, he is forgiven much less much so. yeah something like okay. that <clears throat> so there's this there's this um it's always bothered me i don't know if you can tell but um there's this little badge of honor right eh, for the the great sinner <laughs> yeah you know but what about the mediocre sinner <laughs> like where does he go what kind of batch does he get you know <laughs> and it's like it feels again like this human hierarchy creeps its way in to me somehow and it wants to establish who's the greatest who among these are the greatest right it always wants to do that so I just smash all that down in my mind and I say no it, we're all the same so if we're all the same then we all know nothing and we all do those things that are done, you know, throughout Ecclesiastes, you know, all the vanity stuff. We all do it. We're all guilty of it. And somehow <clears throat> it's besides the point to me. It's not the point 
So anyways, those are my, those are my thoughts. Okay, it reminds me of um, when he says, all, what does he say? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Um, all things are lawful for me, but I'll not be brought in the power of any. Um, kind of reminds me of what Solomon says too. Like I did all these things. Um, yeah, I engaged in all these things. And yeah, it's not really, uh, the promises of God extend all of that sort of thing. The promise of, uh, of his love uh, goes beyond all of that. Yeah, there's a there's there's something about this. Something is something about our our desire to judge between good and evil, mm -hmm. and you know, and that hierarchy that I was talking about, right? Yeah. And um, and that seems to me to be some some kind of human penchant, you know, just just got to do it you know just can't help it you know yeah that, that kind of thing you know and so I always want to ask the question okay so here's the here's what for me what it boils down to is if Job is initiating me into this wisdom and Job the book of Job is telling me that I don't know anything and, and even if I ask I'm not going to get the answer that I want because Job doesn't get an answer. This is the thing. So, and then, and then, and then you have to traipse through Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, right? So I don't know. You're you're more familiar with the books, Jason, than I am. Um, that that you know proceed after Job, right? But but um, I think it would be interesting for you to keep in mind just what god is doing to you if it's an if it's an initiatory book then you are an initiate and you're being initiated into something okay so there's there's a there's a gateway there that you're moving through and as far as i know in ancient times initiates were initiated into mystery right that's what they were initiated into. Yeah, there seems to be. And mystery isn't doesn't mean it's something you can't understand, so you just have to go with it. That's not what it means, okay? Mystery is means that it's deeper than you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And it's all knowable. Yeah, it's like that, what's that? that Levi commercial, that Levi jeans commercial, that was so awesome. And it was just really short. And it was like, go forth or something. It was just people running in their jeans into the dark woods. I was like, this is so cool. That's what it reminds <laughs> me of. Like you're going into the, that's it. Um, yeah, I think, there's, I think there's a lot with what you said that I've, I'm still going to have to chew on, that I'm not really quite sure how to take yeah. and carry at the moment. Um, but I think there is something to where, I mentioned this to Luke Thompson as well. Like I, I, I hadn't thought of it before as in the comparison with sonar and lunar knowledge too. And that uh, lunar knowledge is kind of nighttime. It's mystery. It's a, you know, it's a sub, it's a subconscious cause it's a dream world, you know? And so it's when you go to sleep at night, you go into the dream world. It's um, it's larger. It's larger than what veiled. you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's always veiled. And so this whole book, you can even look at it that way is everything's under the sun. 
with your knowledge like everything you know now it's under the sun now you named it and it's like it's it's got to go back to the mystery at some point again that's cool yeah it's like yeah like tomberg says tomberg says you know if if you if you if you see it with your eyes um how does he put it now i'm trying to remember you know seeing and knowing are are spiritually speaking like you know the, the best example i can think of right now is job when he says i i've heard of you but now i've seen you well he didn't see god right but he did see god so and and, and that that kind of seeing is a is a kind of knowing right so if you know something spiritually you have not seen it with your eyes That's really important to remember. Could you, if I ask a question uh, to go on that, if you know something spiritually, um, I think this is related to like where, um, and Luke, like in, in our signal group, Luke was kind of saying the same thing. I think it was similar. So he was saying like you intuit something and that intuition is always greater than your knowing. Um, but even still, when you see something without seeing it in your eyes, can you see uh, facets of it with your eyes like where you where job well, said thought, yeah sorry where job said he saw god you could he could maybe look at his neighbor and see okay i see i see god uh, and like uh do you, does that does my question even make sense well go yeah i mean the way job starts to see god is he starts to see what i call glimpses mm. So he says, what if there's life after death? He, he gets, right? Which nobody before him ever had, right? So that they're just, it's like out of no, it's out of the blue. Like George McDonald talks about, you know, and, and there your thought stands before you and you wonder where it came from, right? It's a gift. And, and that's what happens to Job. Job's like, what if there's life after death? And all his friends are just like, oh! <gasps> you know blasphemy right and then he says something like what if you know because they talked about the tree being chopped down right the dead tree being chopped down and uh <clears throat> and then job says yeah but what if what if that tree that tree trunk sprouts a new branch and everyone's like <gasps> no it gets ripped out by the roots and thrown into the fire, Job. Like, this is how brutal these people are. Like, there's no sprouts, Job. Forget the sprout idea, okay? Forget the life after death. Forget all that optimism, right? It's not happening. And those are, those are the things that Job, and he sees that. Why does he see it? Because he's seen it. He's seen a sprout growing in a tree trunk, right? He actually has. And suddenly he goes, wait a minute, I've seen this, you know? And this is, this is, uh, this is God speaking through his creation in this veiled, you know, hidden way. And, and, um, and suddenly you're like, no, 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 wait, no, that actually can happen. 
So if it can actually happen, it can actually happen, right? This is, this is the great thing about it, about the way creation speaks. But, you know, he didn't see heaven. He didn't see his friends walking around in white robes and playing harps or anything. He didn't see any of that, right? But he did see it at the same time. If that makes any sense, <laughs> I think it does. It does to me. It does like where, yeah, in a in a scene, as in a, uh, the deepest form of knowing that you can't deny or something like that. Uh, it's, um, well, you know, like you. Thought, sorry, like you quoted with George McDonald. I think is the right way to say. It. There's the thought stands before you, and you wonder where it came from. It's like yeah. then you then you see yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, you grab onto it, right? And 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 you can only like Joe cling to it like a little life raft, you know, in the in the sea of chaos. You're like, but I know this, right? Because there it is, there it stands before me. And and for some reason it it makes more sense than what you can actually see. Because the yeah, the hope goes beyond what you're what you're wrestling with at the moment. Mm -hmm. yeah because you're in a you're in a like a realm of yeah you're, you're we're living in a yeah yeah i don't know everybody everything's veiled in a way huh yeah this is it makes it makes sense um i feel like right before we got on here too i was just telling mitch how and you do this you do this sometimes sherry where like i gotta pause and like think about what you say because i was saying how in like in all of john's writing again revelation and the gospel of john like he'll say stuff and then he'll say almost the opposite and you're like wait what, what? Mm -hmm. and if you're like you're not listening and so you can just sit here and say he saw it but he didn't see it does that make yeah. sense and i'm like yeah i guess so i think maybe <laughs> we're like i think, think i think our first conversation you kept saying the leaf is the flower and i was like i think <laughs> i think i'm getting there i don't know what's happening I'm like, there's something incredibly profound about this, but I'm not getting it. You know, I started, I started listening to uh, Meister Eckhart. And, you know, everything he said was just like, it was just like, I was going, yeah, yes. Oh, of course. Yes. And then I thought, wait a minute. And so I started writing them down, uh, transcribing, because it was an audiobook, And I started transcribing it, some of the things that I really liked. And as I transcribed it, I thought, and stuff sounds like a riddle. Everything sounds like a riddle. Isn't this crazy? <laughs> and then I'm like, no wonder, like the deeper you get into the mirror, the mirror, right? The more everything sounds like a riddle. It just does. Like the leaf is the flower. It is. You know, that's, that's, botany has proven it. It's true. Science has proven it's true. And it was discovered by Goethe, who was a poet, right? And, and so anyway, what was this saying? Yeah, I just, I just realized that, and a lot of wisdom literature sounds like this, you know, Buddhism, and I don't know very much about, um, Hinduism or anything, but you know, a lot of it sounds, I've been reading the Tao Te Ching and a lot of it sounds like riddles, right? 
Um, so, and, and I don't know, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, but to me, I think the reason that that happens is because it is a reconciliation of all things, okay? It is an apocatastasis, and an apocatastasis is a paradox because it has to be, because it takes all of the opposites and, and reconciles them together. So think about that. And the closer you get to the center of that, the more it sounds like a riddle. Sherry, what's your favorite Meister Eckhart quote? Oh, a favorite? Yeah. Well, there's that eye of God one. I can't quote, I'm not really good at quoting them um, offhand, but there, there's this other one here that I'm just looking for it because it's so worth, well, there's two. There's two. One of them is this, you will not find me in the usual places. Come to the desert if you'd like to see. Look where you might become lost for a while. There is a wide wilderness in me. That's, that is a, a very, very much a favorite. That's fantastic. My favorite is if I am this or that, I am not all things. Yes. Yes. Yes, so many of those. Do you have a favorite Tao quote? No, I don't have them memorized enough. But here's another one. Um, when you are really free, you will no longer pine away for freedom. You will be present in this moment. You will be happy to follow God alone in the light that shows us where we are. And, you know, when you are really free, you will no longer pine away for freedom. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then this one. To someone with God, there is happy discomfort. There is glad darkness. There is joyful grieving. There is a lack of nothing. And that lack that is nothing is otherwise hard to find. I thought of you when I read that one, Cal. Hmm. I, I sure haven't found it. There is a lack of nothing. And that lack that is nothing is otherwise hard to find. So if you go backwards in, in that thought that he has, I think what he's saying is that the place that you find it is in the happy discomfort and the glad darkness and the joyful grieving. Mm -hmm. I think. Sounds like riddles. But anyway, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. You're like, what the? But yeah. then it makes sense. It makes sense when you get close to the heart, the center of the paradox, right? Because that's where everything is reconciled together see apocatastasis is not about you feeling good about where you are it has nothing to do with you <laughs> it's about the reconciliation of all things including us including us yeah I always have to push back against like the the like unselfishness language because I'm one of the people who took that very much the wrong way for <clears throat> a long time. And now like most most statements of morality, which are focused on going out of yourself and 
denying yourself or like being being unselfish they like uh, I don't know I just I can't put it that way to myself it doesn't lead to the right to the right places that's right yeah it's yeah but that's so true about about like paradoxes and it's it goes back to like thesis antithesis synthesis and stuff too um on a, it, i don't know we 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 all we want there to be like like one answer or it's hard to accept complexity or even just like feeling multiple ways about a situation or that changing over time and like just understanding that differences really are contained in a, a deeper unity and like it's okay for things to be paradoxical if you can start having fun with it then it, life becomes a lot less frustrating yeah well at the risk of oh. considerable oversimplification it's it's like um uh the the dialectic uh is the Tao is the reconciliation of opposites yeah this period yeah, that's right. It's all that. And, and you know, Cal, I've been thinking about this, you know, it's, it's the reason we can't see God. It's the reason we can't see his face and live, right? Because it's the chaos out of which we were created. In a sense. Yeah, in a sense, because if it's absolute, then it's, then it's both X and not X, right? Yeah, it contains everything. My favorite line from the Tao is, is, it's. I mean, I'm somewhat unsure of this translation or this rendering into English, but the the, the one that I like says, "Know the white, but keep to the black." Um, you, yeah. you you can't know it, but you can be it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Something like that in Ecclesiastes, like uh, is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other, kind of thing. Maybe it's not related. It just sounds like it. it's good to grasp. Yeah, say that again. Oh, he's Can't on hear you. Mitch, Mitch, you're on mute. Sorry, man. Oh, sorry, I was talking to Lloyd. Oh, okay. They, they asked you to say Lloyd, that again. Tell us you not Cal enough for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, no. Uh, oh, what I was referring to is in seven uh but I, I don't know if it relates so do not do not be over, it's really weird actually do not be over righteous neither be over wise why destroy yourself do not be over wicked and do not be a fool why die before your time it is good to grasp grasp the one and not let go of the other uh whoever fears god will avoid all extremes so it's it's a little different where's that from where's that's that from? in ecclesiastes seven Verse verse sixteen is where it starts. Yeah, verse, yeah, that's. Or it may say, "Whoever fears God will follow them both," which is even weirder. That's what I was gonna say. I was gonna say, but I like it. Say, whoever fears God will follow them. Sorry, sorry for interrupting, but whoever fears God will follow them both. That's a footnoted translation suggestion. Uh, so apparently, wow. there's some. Interesting. That's like great. That. But it made me think of of kind of what Sherry was talking about, but 
if you think of Job getting to the end and the the preacher and Ecclesiastes for that matter getting to the end and saying, I, I don't know anything, which is he, he does mm -hmm. he does arrive to that conclusion. Uh, and he also mm -hmm. concludes, well, there is someone that does know, uh, and there's sort of a deference to him. And and so <laughs> you get this thing where it's like, well, I, I can't figure out anything. Everything is breath. I can't get my hand on it. But at the same time, I'm stuck here having to, to fear him and keep his commandments. And uh, so it's like, see Proverbs again. I just got through Proverbs. He blew up Proverbs. And then he's like, yeah, maybe revisit Proverbs and do that because what else can we do? You know, it's good to hold one and uh, not let go of the other. Uh, it's such that we have to be in a place where we're like, yeah, I don't know anything. And I kind of have to at least operate in this illusion that I know things as I, well, as I move a, forward. To me, that, to me, that's precisely, that's precisely the holding of, of the tension that I, I believe is, is what allows Christ to walk on the water. Right? Say more about this. Because, well, I mean, you have Job saying, I have seen you. You know, I've heard of you, but now I've seen you. And then he's, you know, he says to God, God, God says to him at one point at the end there, he says, well, do you, you know, is there anything more you want to talk about, Job? Anything you want to ask me? Or are you going to listen now? Job says, oh, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. Oh, hang on a second. Peter, are you shaking? That's a really good part when he put this in, when he says this. But, uh, you know, it's like with these directives. Forget it. There's definitely a tension. On a slightly unrelated note, just remembered this lovely image. I, I don't know who thought of it, but of Job sort of ends with the hand over the mouth and with him put in silence in front of God. And there's the idea of finally Christ's hand being pierced almost to let through Job's cry to let it be heard. And well, that's, that's a cool answer. It's a beautiful image. When I, when I, when they talked about it, Sherry and Jess, Jess, yes, sorry. When Sherry and Jess talked about it, uh, it reminded me of, of Romans when it said at, at, on the judgment day, every mouth will be stopped. Uh, and it's so, it's such a good part in Job. But they, they showed that it referenced something much earlier that he said, which was super cool too. With the laying the hand over the mouth thing? Mm -hmm. From Job 9, actually, I think. Oh, Job okay. 9, 3. But it reminded me of Romans 3, 19. And, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like Go ahead, oh, No, go ahead. I was going to say, what you said, Abigail, is really interesting because we have this idea of God as someone very distant who doesn't hear us and who's very judgmental of, of about us and um the, the sort of ultimate revelation of god you know maybe is is that that where he is is he's he's right he's right behind the eyes that it, he's yeah. he's in you as you and um he, he he truly 
I mean, this was hardest for us to understand is, is, is the way that God does not condemn us at all. Yes. Um, he, he understands God. He's, he's, he's right there in the tension um, of you know, when we, when we reach for God, but, but we're, we're, we're held back and weighed down by sin. He's right in there. He knows exactly what it, what it is to experience that because he experiences that through us. And that's why he needs us to exist so that he can experience that. Um, uh, but, but yeah, so in other words, that, that he's, Job says, now I've seen you face to face. He's speaking to Jesus. But the, the idea is that rather than have Job stop his mouth, Christ Jesus would have his, his hand pierced that the sound would go through. It's very interesting. Yeah, I know somebody who was converted from atheism and he, as part of his conversion, he like visited a Quaker um, meeting house or whatever. They would just be very quiet and meditative and re he would sit there and repeat to himself one of, I guess, the sayings that they have, God is closer to me than feet and hands. That's that prayer of St. Patrick, Cal. Yeah, it is. And, and I mean, I had a friend, I mean, he's still, he's still around. He just got really bad bone cancer, but he's talking to me about this, this Indian sage type guy that he liked who, who called himself, I am that. He said, what's the that that you're talking about? I think I know. I think it's a line from the Upanishads where Udalika, um, is, is, is his son asks him what he is, what he is, what's the nature of the soul, and, and Udalika is trying to explain the nature of everythingness slash nothingness slash everythingness. And he said, you know, whatever is held in common between the tiny banyan seed and the gigantic banyan tree, you are, you are that. So maybe that's what the, the sage meant, but he was trying to explain the that that he is, and he says, you, you, you can. You can't you can't know it in your mind, but you can catch it as you're falling asleep. I think he was referring to the hypnagogic state where the the kind of ego boundaries are are sort of down, what they call the default mode network. Um, this the sense of self sort of dissolving um, and the separation between oneself and one's environment dissolves away. Um, um, I mean, I guess that is similar to what Meister Eckhart meant when he said, if I'm this or that, I'm not all things. Something about the, you know, the, the oneness of God, the, the, the kind of unmediated or, or immediate, like knowing that he is the, the, the mystical unity of being, um, the, the eternal bliss and knowledge. Um, anyway. I continue to think we're this or that though. That's my big problem, I guess. And uh, at least as far as we're concerned. Well, well, the thing about it is that is that if non-dualism type stuff is true, it's like it's not that it's not that you're what, you know, because new age people have a tendency to speak as though it's like your identity is a false identity and who you really are is God. I don't think that's quite true. I think it's more that God made you in your particularity so that you could use that particularity as a vehicle into, into the infinity that, that, that God is. And is everyone, does everyone accomplish that? Uh, eventually, probably, but I'm a universalist. You know how I would answer that. <laughs> I know. You know, I started thinking, and I know I, I'm behind the times here, I guess, but uh, 
I started thinking about the, the condemnation of God today. And it was in the context of, of Hebrews uh, when it said, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that was that is in keeping with faith. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? Go, go. By faith, he condemned the world. What do you think that's all about? Noah, this is talking about. By faith, he condemned the world? Yeah, and so I took it to mean just who, off the who condemned the world? Noah. God the Father? Or no, Noah? No, Noah. 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 So, but it says, uh, by faith, he condemned the world. And so my instant feeling was that, oh, his faith compared to the rest of the world. It's kind of like a Sodom and Gomorrah thing, like you sometimes oh. talk about, Jason, where it's like next to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah is going to rise up and condemn you because of how bad you are. And so it made me think maybe it's kind of one of those comparison things because his faith was so great and the rest of the world was without faith, they are condemned. And it made me think of Jesus when he says, you know, I didn't come to condemn the world or that there is no condemnation in him. And maybe that, well, where does this condemnation come from? Because it seems to be in the picture somewhere. And it made me think maybe it's by comparison to him. Well, I don't know. I, I think he has to split. The prodigal son condemns himself. The father doesn't condemn him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think what's going on through my head now is like, it just, it's like God has to split. He has to split open the womb. And so then the earth floods or something like that. Like, uh, I guess what, I'm trying to think of a way to put it. Like what's condemned is what's not, what's not of Christ is what is parasitical. So it's like the Ouroboros, it's the closed circle, it's devouring itself, it's uh, it's Lilith, it's Harlot Babylon, and it's like yeah. that that has to be split open, and then um, because otherwise it just it will consume itself, and then you'll have nothing left. Um, so I think to me, and to me that's that's the that is directly maybe solely related uh, to the unforgivable sin. Uh, which is like what Cal, I think you describe it better than I do. It's just like what it's, it's, it's not that God wouldn't even want to forgive it. It's just that he can't, like, it's impossible um, because it is just the nature of it. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know the right language for it. Cal's better at describing it, but it's like, well, cause I think he even says, I, I have he, said it is that you, you, you need, you need the sentence to be commuted, but the only one who could commute it, you have not recognized as a judge. Um, I mean, that's not really such a great way of putting it. I mean, like you, like you said, it, it would be unforgiveness, right? I mean, yeah, because he says, he think he says all, all sins will be for, I think he even says that all sins will be forgiven men, all sins. So that, uh, that leads me to believe that everything will, um, like God is ultimately not going to condemn everything. He's put that on us. Like he's given the power of forgiveness to men. So we're going to have to wrestle with our brothers and do that wrestling in the womb like Jacob and Esau until we can forgive each other um, because the one thing he can't forgive is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which I take that to mean uh, the blasphemy against the spirit of forgiveness because it's uh, if you um, because you're just you're, you're killing each other. Like if you have two children and they won't their, their intent is to divide each other and wound each other and they won't reckon then how you know how can the the father overlook that you know it's like he can't he can't just cover that 
it's like he it's uh, i don't i don't have the i don't think i have the right language for it either but but it seems you're to me like about a, you're talking about a dynamic that would be if possible but it's not possible but it's like it, it would somehow unmake reality it would be mm -hmm. somehow an irresoluble contradiction yeah 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 mm -hmm. it is it is that which the forgiveness of god holds the world together in spite of and which somehow is necessary for that forgiveness to have its identity um mm -hmm. i mean but at yeah. the same time that that forgiveness you know you said jesus is the forgiveness of god jesus is god jesus is the infinite he's the reconciliation of opposites so there's another level on which just as the infinite is distinguished from the complement of the finite it's also at the same time it's it's the unity beneath both the infinite and the finite um that's why uh -huh. when you define the infinite at least when i do i use the words to define a word i say it, the infinite is the interplay between the infinite and the finite so in other words weirdly it has a complement and it doesn't that forgiveness it's um uh i don't know i mean like you say God is say the harmony of harmony and disharmony. I think that that approaches it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I always use the word forgiveness, but and maybe just unconditional love is a better word, because I know even talking with Jacob too, he's like he'll say stuff that God, uh, if God just wants to forgive you, He'll forgive you, and. Um, and I think that's true. I just think the way the, necess the, the necessity of forgiveness comes into play when, when we have the fall. Because when there's a division, when things are divided and the one becomes two, then something has to reconcile them back together. And so to me, that's, that's forgiveness if there's an offense. I guess it doesn't have to be forgiveness if it's just already, already happening under love and there isn't actually a, a turning away from one another when the two are divided, if they're still um looking at one another but if there's an offense between them you need something like forgiveness which is a sacrifice um because one has to repent the other has to forgive and they both have to sacrifice to do that and so there's a death between both of them in the in the coming back together um which nobody really wants to do like it, that's what's so hard like nobody wants to die ever it's not pleasant so okay here's a here's a little thought experiment i think i shared this with with cal a long time ago but I have a favorite George McDonald quote. You guys have probably heard me quote it, love loves unto charity. Mm. And, and I'll just read it as, as he wrote it. Nothing is inexorable but love. Love which will yield to prayer is imperfect and poor. Let's think about that sentence. <laughs> love which will yield to prayer is imperfect and poor. Nor is it then the love that yields, but its alloy. For if at the voice of entreaty, love conquers displeasure, it is love asserting itself, not love yielding its claims. It is not love that grants a boon unwillingly. Still less is it love that answers a prayer to the wrong and hurt of him who prays. Love is one and love is changeless. For love loves unto purity, Love has ever in view the absolute loveliness of that which it beholds. Where loveliness is incomplete and love cannot love its fill of loving, 
it spends itself to make more lovely, that it may love more. It strives for perfection, even that itself may be perfected, not in itself, but in the object, as it was love that first created humanity. So even human love in proportion to its divinity will go on creating the beautiful for its own outpouring. There is nothing eternal but that which loves and can be loved. And love is ever climbing towards the consummation when such shall be the universe, imperishable and divine. Therefore, all that is not beautiful in the beloved, all that comes between and is not of love's kind must be destroyed. And our God is a consuming fire. Okay, so <clears throat> I wrote that, I rewrote that like this. Nothing is inexorable but essence. Essence which will yield to prayer is imperfect and poor. Nor is it then the essence that yields but its alloy. For if at the voice of entreaty, essence conquers displeasure, it is essence asserting itself, not essence yielding its claims. It is not essence that grants a boon unwillingly, still less is it essence that answers a prayer to the wrong and hurt of him who prays. Essence is one and essence is changeless, for essence constitutes purity. Essence has ever in view the absolute existence of that which it beholds. Where existence is incomplete and essence cannot constitute its fill of existence, it spends itself to make more essential, that it may constitute more. It strives for perfection, even that itself may be perfected, not in itself, but in the object. As it was essence that first created humanity, so even human existence in proportion to its divinity will go on creating the beautiful for its own outpouring. There is nothing eternal but that which exists and can be constituted. And essence is ever climbing toward the consummation when such shall be the universe, imperishable, divine. Therefore, all that is not beautiful in the existent, all that comes between and is not of essence's kind must be destroyed. And our God is a consuming fire. George and, and I just, you know, I just thought it's just, you know, we get so um, dull of hearing when we hear the word love, mm -hmm. right? We stop thinking about what it really is. <laughs> and, and, and so I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to write it out in such a way that it would make people see love in a different way. As an as the essence of God, right? As and that the reality principle. Yeah, and that love just does what it does. It doesn't do it because it feels good. It it, it does it because it's love. Because that's what love does. Right. Yeah, it just says like, in First John that that God is love, but it doesn't really assume. That that you 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 just you just know exhaustively what love is because if God yeah. is love then you can't know exhaustively what love is 
right you you only have the time the faintest glimmer of, of what it is um and um so you sort of you need a relationship with god to teach you what what love is because whatever it is it's not it's not <clears throat> what you it's not what you think it is no it isn't and it, it's like that's what that's why that part of there a part of it like love loves unto purity and and that which is not lovely it makes more lovely so that it can get its fill of loving like the, the way that george puts that together it's just like it's like love is like a giant man-eating monster like it just can't stop right it has to eat you all up you know the feeling we get when we see a little baby that's just so cute and we just want to kill it you know we're just oh just want to just want to eat it <laughs> that's love that's love you know that's what love is like right it just wants to eat you up and i mean i can imagine that that's not always a pleasant thing experience (laughs) um oh hello is new river um i know the winds from the south have the waves riled up like a hungry mouth and your stomach goes hollow at the thought that it could swallow you whole but it rains for 40 days and nights and nothing you do can slow the rising tide. Let it come down, let it come down, let it make you a new river. Mm. Song, I have, song basically yeah. defines how I think about time. Yeah. What's that quote, mm-hmm. what? Hmm? What's the song? Oh, that's the song? Oh, yeah. You gotta pay attention to lyrics, Cal. You gotta listen yeah, to the lyrics. Yeah, it's called New River by the Oh Hellos. <clears throat> the Oh Hellos are great. Love that. That's, I love how you love that quote by George and I love how you've rewritten it because it makes sense both ways it also yes. like brings in brings in like beauty and existence and like love and I think to put the two side by side um if you read analysis like quality or okay, if you read like mystical comparative religions type stuff they talk about Certain systems will put things more in, in quote unquote more personal or impersonal terms, talking more about like love and like the will, the will versus talking about like exist in the more Eastern religions. It tends to be more in terms of like existence and like understanding and knowledge. But yeah. supposing these quotes, it's really the same idea that they're talking about. And it's it's equally yeah. personal, it's equally it's just like you can put yeah. it. They, yeah. they say that English is a do language, but Japanese is a B language. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A having and a being one. Having and being modes, eh? I, you know, I asked, actually asked Cal about the word constitute in there. And I couldn't think of a better word. It's good. And, and, and see, what's so great, and Cal agreed, he said he couldn't think of a better word either at the time. And What's so great about the word is it, it, it kind of encompasses the whole idea of the one and the many. When something is constituted, it is made up of many, it's a one thing made of many parts, you know? And that's what we are as individuals and as, as, a, as a body, like. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that, okay, that gets, that actually is another thing that connects to, that quote I loved you said like or somebody said whatever the tree you know the seed has in common with the tree that's what you are that's what like your soul is like 
okay, I'm sorry, but this reminds me of a Jordan Peterson quote, identify yourself as the part of you that learns and changes. That's a lot of a, like, it's not as good of a way of putting it, but I think it's like getting at the same point. But anyway. Yeah, yeah it's I the part that, that mediates between chaos and order or heaven, yeah. i.e. Jesus. I think that gets back to Mitchell's question about like, or just thinking about what does it mean if the soul is eternal? Like, what does it mean to be one consistent entity across time? It's the same sort of question as what it means to be one, one gestalt, one thing made of many parts. It's just like applying that to time. Yeah, mm. like composite phenomena, every composite phenomena has an essence that is nothingness. And mm -hmm. that, that, is, that is like somehow a, 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 a necessary condition for its having a stable identity over time. Yeah, it is. That's what exactly what Meister Eckhart is talking about when he says that. Um, uh, when he says there is a lack of nothing, and that lack that is nothing is otherwise hard to find. It's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge at the end. You know. What do we like mean? That, I'm sorry. That's what you're. Well, he's like, that's what you're looking for, isn't it? Huh? Huh? What do you think? <laughs> you don't even know it. I like the uh, analogy with the, the tree. This is, it was kind of running through my head earlier and, uh, and I can maybe tie it in here now if, if I can make it make sense, I don't know. But so the, um, like the seed is the particular and the tree is like the, the whole or the, the universal, I guess you could say. And so even in, it's that same way with creation, like you, um, you yourself are an individual, but you identify with all creation. And, um, and in that way, you're going to need, need to learn to love it all and be reconciled with it all. And it, yes. as I was so reading it, tapling, tapling growing in the trunk. Yeah. It is the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And there's a, the, well, the thing too, with like, I think with the, and that was that quote you said, Cal, with the, the, be the dark or something. You are the light, but be the dark. Or, yeah, you know what I'm saying. You are the white, but be the black. Yeah, yeah. So like, there's. A, I just started reading Fantasties again, and it starts out, and he meets that. If you have read it, he meets the little fairy lady at the beginning, and he goes to touch her, and she gets mad at him because that's kind of mm -hmm. a theme in fairyland. And she says, "Don't touch me. I could be your grandmother." And he's like, you can't be my grandmother. And she's, she says, how do you know that? You know a lot about your fathers, but you know nothing about your grandmothers. And it's like the woman, the feminine is always veiled. And it's like, uh, you can see the fairy is in that, in that instance as being the tree or being all of creation. And it's like, you, you don't know your mother's line. And it's like purposeful that you don't, that, that the feminine is veiled for that reason that you are you are a part of all creation. It's not just, I can track my family's line. I can see it clearly. It's, this is my name. This is my face. This is my identity. It's like your identity has within it a mystery from the feminine that's always veiled. And it's, you don't know who your grandmother is. And so it's like, you have to, uh, does that make sense? You have to, yeah. you're, you're connected in, in this. There's a mystery within you that's always hidden within you through the feminine that connects you to the rest of creation in a way. Does that make sense, Mitch? Sorry, I look like I confused you. <laughs> so it's not your fault, man. 
No, no, it is. It is. I'm not explaining it well. I can tell. I can feel when words come out of my mouth and I'm like, what am I doing? Just stop. <laughs> well, I think that's right, actually, um, Jason, because the divine feminine is Sophia. <clears throat> and Sophia is, um, you know, that which is in you and that which is outside of you that speaks to you. It speaks to the thing that is in you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's my... like, this is related to like, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you, you, you go, Cal. There's this thing um, that I've been trying to understand lately that like Steiner had some kind of vision of Jesus. Um, he said that when the blood started to flow from the wounds into the ground, um, mm -hmm. It meant that whatever could previously reach the earth only as light was now, was now um, joining the entire creation, you know, down to the level of you know, soil and dirt. It's to itself. It was, it was entering creation into, into, the, into the depths of the earth. And that's something Nate was trying to tell me about the other day. Was, mm -hmm. He said that Jordan Wood's account of something or other maximus and uh hypothesis and all that kind of stuff he said it, was, it did not involve a kind of sophianic redemption of matter he said we're did trying not. to understand that well but you know certainly if it's only reaching the oh sorry oh no go ahead well if it's only reaching the earth as light you see that's a kind of distant masculine principle if it's if it's entering the dark earth in which you know the mystery of life germinates then it is you know it is it is effecting total union it is it is um it is it is joining everything through the through the aspect of the the unknown or the dark or the feminine where creation is the feminine to to god that which yeah. he will know at, 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 at any at any price Right. This is his beloved. And well, I do I I don't know precisely what Steiner talks about, but I think Bulgakov actually got the idea from Steiner. Oh hang on a second. Silence is killing me. <laughs> okay, so there you go. There you go. Sorry, guys. Um, Bulgakov talks about uh, the the blood and the water that comes from the side of Christ on the cross as sacramentalizing the whole earth, so that all of creation becomes a sacrament. And all I can say personally to that is Amen, because to me that is how I perceive creation as a sacrament. So that when, when I participate in creation, in God's creation, that I, I'm, I'm actually participating in a sacrament. That's how it feels. 
And, and then that, of course, the opposite has to be true, right? That if you are being irreverent with the earth, then you are being irreverent with it, with an actual sacrament, which Lord have mercy. That's all I could say. I was hearing about these people once they, it was actually funny. It was at church I used to go to, they were just talking about how out west they'll mine by like using acid or something stripping away like the hills and just entire mountains like melting them I'm like oh it's like violating definitely mm -hmm. but that goes back that's what you're really tying back to the other thing that we were saying about Ecclesiastes Jason about like everything being a being a sacrament mm -hmm. yeah I heard you guys talking about that earlier yeah that's good. That's what it is. This is why Rilke says it. <laughs> He's so good. He's like the tiniest little line with the simplest little words in it. It's, and the point is to live everything. Yeah. So why? Because you're living in a sacrament. Your life is a sacrament. Everything around you is a sacrament. You are involved in an in a like a divine liturgy every morning every time you open your eyes that feels like the book of ecclesiastes too that the quote you just said the point is to live everything because he does this wave that feels like a wave in ecclesiastes it's like everything is vanity vanity it's all able able and then he says it, enjoy it like eat drink be merry uh live it um live but yeah but realize it's all able it's all yeah mm -hmm. what do you think Ryoko really was at the heart of what he was saying when he when he said the point is to live everything well I have that I just happen to have Andy because I love it so much <laughs> yeah I love it too it's one of my favorite do you read his poetry as well yeah I do he's amazing Mm -hmm. But in that in that part where he says, the point is to live everything, if I can find it here, because I don't want to read the whole thing, although I should, but I won't. Um, he says, if your daily life seems poor, do not blame it. Blame yourself that you are not poet enough to call forth its riches. Oh, for the, burn. <laughs> for the creator, there is no poverty. The deepest experience of the creator is feminine for it is experience of receiving and bearing. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. And so, you know, there's a there's another McDonald quote here. Let's see if I kept it. Um, uh, I don't know what how to look it up here. Let me see. Um, it's a conversation from. Um, from Fantasties. No, the wise woman, maybe that's, oh, that's where I have it under. 
the wise woman. And it just matches that Rilke quote so well. Because he says, live, live the questions now, right? So, and you, and you think, well, how do you live a question? And, and, this, and that's what this is about. This is from the wise woman. This, um, the wise woman is now a, a, a little child, okay? She's a beautiful child. And uh, the girl finds her and she says to her, won't you give me a little flower, please, you beautiful child? There they are. They're all for you, answered the child, pointing with her outstretched arm and forefinger all round. But you told me a minute ago not to touch them. Yes, indeed I did. Well, they can't be mine if I'm not to touch them. If to call them yours, you must kill them. Then they are not yours and never, never can be yours. They are nobody's when they are dead. But you don't kill them. I don't pull them. I throw them away. I live them. That's exactly what Rilke is talking about. I don't pull them. I throw them away. I live them. How is it that you make them grow? I say, you darling, and throw it away, and there it is. And for me, it's like that. All that is is just a nod, a yes to its existence, whatever it might be, right? Just say, I, you darling, and, and throw it away and, and let it live, let it be. You know what Mary said. Where do you get them? In my lap. I wish you would let me throw one away. Have you got any in your lap? Let me see. No, I haven't got any. Then you can't throw one away if you haven't got one. Just like that conversation is, I can't, I, you know, I've said this before, that conversation is everything. It's everything Rilke talked about, about the questions and living into them. And the point is to live everything. And, and Meister Eckhart, Eckhart talking about being in the, you know, in the, um, what does he call it? The, 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 the unhappy, you know, the grumpy happiness, or I don't know how he puts, <laughs> puts those things there, you know, those opposites together. Um, it's, it's the same thing, you know, uh, when he says, um, happy discomfort and glad darkness and joyful grieving. That is, that's when she says, I say, oh, you darling, and I throw them away, and there they are, right? I'm not grabbing onto them. I'm not pulling at them. I'm not striving. I'm not, I'm just letting them be. And I'm, and I'm doing it in, in, a, in a loving way. Oh, you darling. Like, how do you say that to something that you don't really want to be happening to you at the moment? You know? Oh, you darling. <laughs> and then let it live and try not to kill it. Is there nothing you should kill? It's a good question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking. I guess there's there's go ahead. There's different different ways to frame it. Um, there's like different. There's always different ways to look at things. Like. <sighs> something may die in order to let something else live. 
then the focus could almost be on the thing that takes its place. I don't know, in the, the, oh man. And I've had some like key crux like moments in my life of like decision and it revolves around this kind of thing. Like, are you gonna kill that thing? Are you gonna like kill that part of you? Are you gonna let it, like, what are you gonna do? Um, and it is like this question of, of like death or life, um, like a very stark way. I'm trying to think. Find the life and feed it is what they say in ethics of beauty. And mm -hmm. I, I guess there is a way, there is a way to just focus on that and to just focus on and like highlight moving from life to life to life. And then the sort of death parts, they like fall away naturally rather than having to go after and like kill them and be in that like violent like mindset. Well, you know, what I think about is that Jesus trampled death by death. Mm. So um, I remember talking to Jess about, about this, you know, you have the harmonic and luciferic, right? The luciferic delivers you up to the machine. Luciferic is your passions, right? It's all your envy and your greed and your wants and your, it's your having mode, basically. And, and, and that, you know, Lucifer's like, just have a good time, be free, enjoy yourself. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's great. And and pretty soon you find yourself in in the in the in the mouth of the machine, right? And that's the harmonic. And so, what what the anthroposophic people say is that you should that those two things. And, th and this is the interesting language again about scripture, right? So it's this, it's this mirroring thing. It's, it's not necessarily what it seems. Like I remember when I first got on the Discord, people would say something and I, and I would always just write, nothing is what it seems. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't know how to articulate half the things that I was, wanted to talk about. But all I could say was that nothing is what it seems, okay? Like, if you think you know what you're talking about, you definitely don't know. <laughs> it's just kind of like that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but there's this, there's, this, there's this interesting thing about, okay, I'm gonna try to tie in a bunch of thoughts that I'm having all at once here. So in the, Arma, in the, uh, in the uh, anthroposophic text for the Revelation of St. John, they talk about bridling those two things, okay? Not just killing them, bridling them. And Jesus does that. He does precisely that. He, he takes death and he uses it. He has it bridled in a sense, right? Like a wild horse, and he uses it to trample death. And this is precisely the image I get in my mind of because I I I broke a lot of horses in my life and you know you have this animal who could potentially trample you to death who could kill you right now, like I've always said to people whoever had the bright idea to get on these things like are you kidding me <laughs> they're so dangerous you know one one famous trainer calls them claustrophobic panicaholics. <laughs> 
that's all they are, you know, they're totally, uh, they're totally um, 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 yeah, unpredictable, you know, unless you think like a horse. But anyway, you bridle it. And then, and then you have this incredible relationship. And, and you can do a lot of things with that horse on that horse that you couldn't do before. You know, it, it enables you now to do a lot of things. And, I, and this is also the language that it, in Job that um, God uses when he talks about the wicked. Like he talks about trampling them, right? And destruction and, you know, all that typical Old Testament language. But the way that God does it is he makes Job mediate for them. So it's not destructive language, it's transformative language, all of it. That's what bridling is. When you bridle something, you take it and you transform it, right, into something that is potentially beneficial to you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work in a way that's good for you. And, and, uh, and that's what Jesus did. He trampled death by death. Oh man. We lost service. Or... What a way to go out, though. And trample death by trample death. death again. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It was making me think about uh, the wine press of the wrath of God thing when she was talking about that, too. Uh, yeah, and see, and see that you don't damage the oil or the wine, right? It's that weird line about. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's interesting. That's a, yeah, that's always been intriguing. What line? A quart of wheat for a denarius, uh, two quarts of barley for a denarius, or something like that. Do not harm the oil and wine. It's like the uh, the four horsemen. I think it's the black one. The one with yeah, the okay, scales. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Daniel so, Jason would 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 know that line. I I I don't I don't know it only as some kind of vague echo in my head, but Jason knew the line. <laughs> and it's a, it's usually the Ian over here. The, the weird the weird ones that stand out to me. I was telling Mitch that the other day. There's some verses where I'm just like, what is going on here? Like there's one in Ecclesiastes I read over, and the ones that always stick out to me too is where God asks a question, and I'm like, does he not know? Like why is he asking this? Like he. He said, he was talking about Gog and Magog, and then it says, thus says the Lord, is this who I've spoken about all these years or something like that? And like, God's asking him a question. And I'm just like, what is this? Why is God, like, why don't you just tell him? Like, why are you being so mysterious and sneaky? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the best is God distancing himself from God when he talks about the ostrich's lack of sense. He doesn't say I'd. I did not give her a sense. He says, God didn't do it. <laughs> like, like it's somebody else. Like the thing where you go, where the one parent, if the kid's causing trouble, is like, you're <laughs> <laughs> So I'm thinking still about the Roku quote because it was hugely influential to me as a, as a young book. Uh, and uh, it, I guess the, I mean, to me, my impression of it all is that it's like a seize the day kind of, uh, mantra, but when it made me center back to Ecclesiastes when he said, you know, don't don't try to live. I think he said, don't try to live the answers because you won't understand it. Don't like so when people give you answers, 
I mean, forget it. You're going to have to live the question yourself. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's true. Uh, you know, looking back, mm-hmm. like, I think to an extent it's probably inevitable, but it's it's like we've got this Ecclesiastes here, you know, and we talked about it some days, and he's turned over every rock, he's looked behind every tree, and then he's given us the conclusion. And, and can we, like, participate in the conclusion? Or do we have to, to go through the gauntlet ourselves? Huh. Well, the conclusion is, is the, uh, it's like the, the conclusion is like the beginning and the end it seems like because he says all like what does he say at the end fear god uh and keep his commandments he says he does say that yeah and in the the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and i don't think and the thing the the thing is when i like when we say that a lot i think a a lot of people um and i've been on church services too but i think they have a a knee-jerk reaction to it and, and rightly because i mean it sounds scary but I think it's just on work works on like uh, like a, on a fractal level in a way, because um, to me the fear of the Lord is demonstrated through Solomon. When uh, let me just see there, really First Kings, it's First Kings chapter three where he says God says what do you want and he says I want wisdom, and then he says uh, I am a little child. Wait, what does he say? Uh, you have shown great um mercy to your servant david my father uh in truth righteousness let's see um you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day now O lord my god you have made your servant king instead of my father david but i am a little child i do not know how to go out or come in and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people too numerous and too numbered to be counted therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. And so I think it's like, and to me, that is the fear of the Lord is like, uh, knowing like that is the beginning of wisdom. And that is the end of wisdom it says all this I've proved by wisdom. I said, I'll be wise, but it was far from me. And so it's like, you come to God saying, I'm just a little child. I don't know how to discern good and evil. And you've set me in charge over your creation. And if you actually approach it, like, Sherry was talking about where all of creation is a sacrament. You're gonna to to approach that with wisdom. You're gonna approach it in godly fear, in a way, in some sort of reverential fear. Like you've given this to me. You've given me creation to partake of, and it's sacramental. Um, the the wisdom is like the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and it's also like the end of wisdom or something. Like he concludes at the end of Ecclesiastes. What is the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God. <laughs> That's the beginning. Name. Yeah, and it's the beginning too. It's the beginning <laughs> of wisdom, and it's like the end of wisdom too, or something. It's like, it's like, uh, and it's, it's like unending too. It's like because the more, and when you, she was talking, the quote of that love thing by George McDonald, I thought it was fascinating because it's like, uh, it said, he was, it said like the creature, I guess, talking about us in the same way that God loves, we love, and then through that we create and so then through creating we love more so you're never going to know love because love is always increasing um through creation and so i think it's the same thing with wisdom and the fear of god too if creation is always increasing then the sacramental aspect of it is always increasing 
and the fear of God is always increasing. Love is always increasing. Wisdom is always increasing. So the, it, it's always, it's always further up and further in. It's, uh, it's all tied up in this very base thing because even when in First John, when he defines what love is, doesn't he say like, the love of God is this to keep His commandments? <laughs> something, yeah, I think something like that. I don't know. Yeah, and then, and then the. Yeah, then he says his commandments are not grievous. And then yeah, I, and I never know what to make of that too, because you have all these, uh, you know, like these these more. Well, I sometimes you think do it. It's just you do what? I well, I was gonna say I think fundamentally it's just love, because I think he says all the law can be summed up in this one word, love. Uh, so the love of God is this: uh, keep his commandments. His commandment is to love. Yeah, and I think Paul says that the the whole law can be summed up in this one word love your neighbor as yourself and it's just like <laughs> yeah yeah awesome so we think of commandments normally comes across and normally it still comes to my mind when people say commandments it, i think of finger wagging like don't do this don't do that but, and then uh but it's really just just love love do your you think, brother as yourself it's always like how to do that right yeah I do, know. do you think that if when it talks about in first john and that same kind of section like a perfect love cast out of fear what how do you think it's just a are we talking like very different notions of fear here uh than what we get when we think of fear the lord and keep his commandment oh i don't know that's a big question what do you think his commandment is love love cast out of fear oh no <laughs> that's clever i guess you could like read it that way as like an okay the law versus like grace type of thing i think that does make a nice little progression of like fear and keep the commandments then love cast out the fear but you did, you did like, yeah. like healthy fear of god uh-huh. i i like the word that i think about well what jason was saying i think could also be described as like reverence Mm-hmm. and that is a lot of especially to me certainly god's love toward us when i have felt the most of the divine love there's like a absolute reverence and just like not that that god is afraid of me like in a slavish way obviously because that would be quite silly but just like respect like almost a, like i'm not even gonna touch you if you don't like com- absolute just in a way that like takes your breath it's very beautiful and yeah reverence and it's probably fear something go ahead oh i'm sorry no 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 if you if you if you fear something what you do is you, you constantly regard it and treat it as real so i mean the respect that is is there too and the but but abigail i guess talking about reverence also and similar, similar and certainly um, to, okay go on just i know that if i fear something what that means is i treat it as very real i'm mm-hmm. always watching it i've acknowledged it for what it is yeah mm-hmm. mm-hmm. unless, unless you're scared to death and you're just running no, i'm just kidding but you're still you're still acknowledging it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's and it's possible. It's I mean, we're going, we're we're doing a language hop here. It's mm-hmm. possible that the fear that love casts out is what you might think of more 
care. Well, we might think of that's for eighty cap fear. Exactly right. Yeah, I think because it has to. It even says right. It has to do with punishment. It has to do with punishment. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Mitch. It has to do with punishment and judgment. Uh, I don't know, but I mean, I think that that is to some degree. That that probably does still play into some degree too, because as soon as you said that, that that other part popped into my head where like, um, where you trample the blood of Christ underfoot, and then it then it causes you to have a fearful expectation of judgment, like when you're willingly. When you're willingly and knowingly like spitting in crisis christ's face knowing that's not perfect knowing what he is. That's no perfect. no that's not, that's not and then i think it should probably give you a little bit of a fear like what is it uh chasing there's one i wanted to bring up to you and i can't remember it was but it's a really cool part where it talks about mercy mixed with fear do you know what i'm talking about i know you know every mercy text in, in this book no nah. This no, is I don't know. we're off subject now. We got from animals and people both die in Ecclesiastes to all this business. But you, you guys were talking about like the language hop, like if it's talking about fear in Hebrew versus in Greek. Is that what you were talking about? And in English like as well, yeah. Just just okay, right, transferring okay. trying to transfer. I think that, that that Greek phobos is is kind of more like our Western notion of fear, maybe where it, I mean like it's like Freddy Cat fear, like it it causes it seizes people with confusion and cause them to do stupid stuff the hebrew fear is maybe like hebrew hate where it's like doesn't quite exactly mean what it what it seems to mean to us i don't know i see what you're saying yeah like when you when the hebrew word for hate is kind of like despise or esteem lightly sometimes they're just like yeah just love less is really just what okay. it means yeah 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 that makes sense like uh leah he hated or something like that and it's like well he was still yeah he didn't having he didn't, children with her he didn't not yeah i mean he still loved her he just loved her less yeah it was you 20 interesting yeah the, to me the fear is always kind of um i guess we're getting on a different oh. topic here but it seemed to always i guess when i think about it personally it it seems to scale up uh, it could scale up into a, I don't know if it would be terror would be the right word, but the, the, I guess the reverence, as Abigail put it, would be so strong that it would almost be like I'd be trembling before the throne of God. Because uh, especially if I think if God were to make me king like Solomon over the whole known world, I don't know that I could make a decision ever. Like I would just be absolutely afraid of like, giving any decree or law i'd be like i'm just gonna screw this whole thing up like it would just be like man yeah i'd be praying like crazy that's why i really love people who i i really respect people who acknowledge who get to the place where they acknowledge they know nothing and are still willing to risk leading others yeah. and making statements it's not out of a place of like i know this but it's out of a kind of a helplessness like we have to proceed and now who's going to be willing to like risk being wrong, risk being hated when you're wrong and, and ultimately love others by, by being willing to lead. It really is incredible to me when I see people. Yeah, you have, to, you have to be very psychologically integrated in order to assume a position of leadership and admit ignorance. Cause that's full on mediating, you know, mm -hmm. between heaven and earth. That's full on, um, you know, uh, not many of you should be teachers right? 
curious about this mercy fear thing now. Too. Oh, it's shoot. Yeah, it's shoot twenty two. Oh, you know what? This is that was. I think if I'm thinking of what you're talking about, that was something Cal when you were talking to Andrew. I kind of wanted to leave a comment and ask about that because he brought up um, the idea of saving of people being saved through fear, and he gave an example about being in a, someone having to go to war or God sending them into a war just so that way they'd cry out to God. Um, oh yeah, and and like I think I agree with him. I don't think that's the the proper way to engage with love or maybe uh or anything like that but i was like is it could it still be a door into coming to god because there's this is it that verse in jude where it says a uh, um and on some have compassion making a distinctions but others save with fear pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment defiled by the flesh i don't even know what to make of that verse really it's like a necessary state versus a sufficient state. He said it was, it was a really cool point. Is that the one you're talking about, Mitch? Uh, no, I was talking about 22 be oh. merciful to those who doubt, but yeah, no, no, you're right. I'm sorry, by snatching them from the fire to others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by. I think it's just viewing uh, the destructiveness of sin in its correct place, and, uh-huh. and, and so even as you're extending mercy to those who are participating in it, you're like you have a sort of a terror about what it might lead to. Oh, yeah. It seems like that. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, that, that gets back to Sherry's quote about love, um, doing absolutely whatever it takes to get the person out of a situation that is not good for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With me, a lot of the time it is like that. It, like I have to reach a fever pitch of pain from, hmm, Maybe we should change something here, but and it hurts, but it's, I'm thankful for it because somebody cares enough to be like, no, not an acceptable situation. That's why I was asking, do, do someone really can, don't listen to the answers because you won't be able to understand the answers. So go with the questions. I'm not sure if that's true for everyone. Uh, I'm not even sure if it was true for me, even though I did ultimately like say, you know, um, I'm not going to live in these answers. I'm going to live the questions instead and then find the answers, you know, ultimately right all along. Um, so I don't know if that has to be true of everyone or not, but it would be nice if it didn't. It'd be nice if we can look at Ecclesiastes and say, okay, I'm not going to try any of this stuff. I'm going to go straight to the conclusion of the matter. I, to me, the times. I don't know. Yeah, I guess if you feel like you can, or if that's something that fits and already integrates into your life, maybe you've already lived the question sufficiently. You, because I guess the point of living the questions would be to open up the proper space in you to receive the answer. The space is already there. There, but I think of the whole "don't take other people's answers" more, almost. You know those things that people will say that you don't like the sound of, but you figure they're right because they have some sort of authority, but you're like, ah. <laughs> and George, George himself says, don't take that kind of thing. If it seems, there's another great quote of his in principle that I use a lot, that if it seems bad to you, something in you is reacting to that and you shouldn't just force it into yourself. You clearly don't understand it. Either it's false or you're just not understanding it right. Like it's not safe to just be like, well, this is the answer because it says so. So do it. Like live the questions first and then you will have your own understanding of, of the answer. And maybe it'll be a different one than everybody was saying anyway, or maybe not. But yeah. 
Yeah, that's like Job, right? They're all trying to give him the answers. Yeah. And he's like, those, those aren't answers. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so all right, cats, I have to say goodnight. I want him out there. Yeah. I understand, man. Get some sleep. Thanks for so joining us. Yeah. It was good having you here. It's just the thing is, it, the, the fine line is, right, there's an ultimate perspective that time has proven there's an ultimate perspective that knows something we don't, is able to hand that to us. And so it's a toss-up, right, when I should trust that instinct in myself that is pushing back on it because, mm -hmm. if, I mean, it's like they could really know something I don't. Uh, and that's coloring my whole feeling about it, or it's true. Like they could be wrong, and I will wish I listened to my gut. Me, me. It, you have to. It's like all discernment. It's all discernment, and if I don't know at least the way that I personally live right now, even if I think, okay, maybe, well, never mind. I won't, I won't say that. Um, I guess there has to be something in me. If I take somebody's advice, it has to be something in me that's responding to that, that like wants to, um, whether that be like a trust in them or something, the idea is appealing, but, otherwise and that's so that is following like my own discernment as well in taking that but otherwise I won't because I think the safest thing like our discernment like heart sort of gut instinct feeling it's it's not so reliable all the time it's not right all the time but it's I think it's the best thing that I have and I'm not gonna I'm gonna work on refining that directly and not betray it and sort of yeah. Whether you're trusting the authority or you're trusting your instinct, you're still trusting yourself. I'm trusting that this authority knows more than I do, or I'm trusting my instinct is is the right one this time. Right. Both of them are emerging from yourself. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's important to recognize, like yeah, to put the emphasis there on you, like, okay, I'm choosing to trust this because I don't know I have been in a lot of situations where if I had just trusted what somebody said just because they were saying it it would not have gone so well yeah even if you're in a position like I am uh, for instance which I always trust that that scripture is ahead of me on things but I still have to trust the way I'm reading it uh, yeah what a pain to be stuck with ourselves for eternity <laughs> <laughs> just uh glad we got back to that bleak nihilism there what a pain um that's right it's not it's not it's beautiful well too. even if even if like you you take the authority though you still you still take it to the question i think i think that's kind of the point it's like even even if even if someone is completely right and you know they're completely right like they're only right to a degree i mean does that does that make sense at all? Like they, like we can never. I don't think we can ever have the the complete answer. So even if someone says 
uh, I mean, like you need to eat food to live or something, like you can still take that to a question. And you can still be like, why? Like, or, you know, I mean, you don't, you don't have to like rebel against it necessarily, I guess, but you could still take it to an exploratory question or something, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or, yeah, and I mean, even that statement could be false in some scenarios too, because like you could fast and like, you don't, it's not gonna kill you either. Um, but ultimately you do need food to live. So it's like, uh, I don't know. It just always seems to be some sort of mystery. So I think it's like, even if you, re- you could still maybe respect the authority um, and still question it uh, without without being insulting somehow. I don't know. I don't know how to do that necessarily, but. Well, you're gonna have to live that question. Man. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. You can't live the question for the sake of the question, though, I guess, too. What you're saying is exactly right, Jason. But if oh, you're, thank you. you're, you're living it towards the answer uh, anyway, but you you always are, uh, live, it's probably best to live in the question just so that you don't get taken away by every win. I guess even like everybody has a different, very different worldview and a different understanding of things, a different way of phrasing things. So even if it is an authority and they are right, and you end up coming to much the same conclusion, like there's such a difference in knowing something by experience versus knowing it from hearsay. I think you definitely can like take what somebody's saying with respect, but understand that perhaps you will need to translate it for your own worldview and your own life. Mm-hmm. World different. Yeah, I think that's good. I think this kind of gets what a little bit what like you and me butt heads at that sometimes oh. we're like it was start yelling at each other. It's like no, but when we're talking about like authority of scripture even and stuff, and I'm like where where you don't have to ask why, but you can. Like you can still hold it to be true. Like you could read the scripture and be like, okay, this is true. I know it's true. Why we don't butt why heads on true? this? We agree. No, but, yeah, but like somehow we. What like, I wanted to defend <laughs> was people that say. I wanted to defend because it says so as an answer. I think it's a yeah. viable answer. Uh, I'm say like, that's not the best answer or why not question it? Why not? Okay. But uh, yeah. I think it's a good, wise answer to, for a Weird. person to have. Like, like a parent, not just like a child. They're, they're, I don't know and because it says so or and both I don't, okay in my book. And, and even if, so like even a parent with a child, they could say, this is the rule then I mean, I agree with that because then the child could ask why and they'll be like, well, you don't need to know why. Like you just, this is the rule. And some, uh, some children need that, that structure, I think. Um, I mean, I'm not a parent, so I can't say that definitively, but I don't know. I've been told that. Um, but I do think like there is that. It's like, I mean, even every, like, even if there's a scripture and it says an absolute statement, for some reason, that's almost more intriguing to me, because then it just makes me ask why, and not in a rebellious way. It's just like, why is this, like, how could this be? Like, how can this be? Mm-hmm. Like, how could, how could someone like, make this claim? You if know? somebody doesn't start with, this is, this is just me blabbing, but if somebody doesn't start with, like, God saying so is enough. It, there's there's some there's like a hole in in the belief in, in him in my mind. It just has to be enough. It doesn't have to be the end. Uh, it's just for me. It has to be enough. Like 
Because if I if I say that's not enough, I have to have a reason why. Then I, I feel like I'm in some overstepped my bounds. If I say I I wonder the reason why, I want to know the reason why. That seems good and healthy, but I don't know. I'm just I'm just shooting from the hip. Yeah, I guess it has to do, to me, all of these questions come down to like trust. I made a video on this actually, like fear, information, love and trust and like uh, the relationship between reason slash information and trust. But like, I mean, of course, discerning whom to trust, but also like not um, sinning against not infringing on one's internal sense of okay I do or don't like trust this situation or person I think that instinct is like important to guard because, yeah. yeah 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 so it's like I guess important to make sure that there's not a small tender part of you saying like please no but you slam the authority down over that I see what you're saying yeah. yeah which of course isn't always like sometimes there is an authority that you genuinely do trust them and it's like okay I don't have to worry about this I'm gonna trust but I'm just I'm just thinking about like eternal conscious torment and such things where people will do the whole because it says so because I have to believe thing but like their heart I feel like can't be in that and they're betraying their own like deepest earliest I know I always was betraying my own deepest moral sense mm-hmm. in the name of of like faith or in the name but that's not really I've since had experiences of, like complete trust in something that maybe even doesn't make logical sense but it's a totally different experience from the whole they say so so I guess I'll be yeah this is very this is a very fine line because yeah. the the trust needs to come from a place of love and not a fear so if i'm if i'm afraid and so i'm laying these hard lines down because i want to in some sense justify myself by them or because i'm i have this fear that um that without them i'm just gonna splay into chaos then maybe that's not such a good reason but if it if it's like yes i i know the man that that's telling me this and I trust him and and that's good enough for me if it's coming from from that place of love I think it's 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 it has to be enough sad when it's the opposite I know the man who's telling me this and I don't trust him it's always it is sad that's really sad it's one of the saddest things I think to me But, but you know it's it's very funny when what is the heart that is deceitful above all else what is that you wouldn't think of that as your conscience uh necessarily uh one one tends to think you can trust your conscience so what is this heart is it your is it your emotions what what is the heart that's deceitful yeah i don't know because that's a that's a pretty tall accusation for your your heart it's not really talking about uh i don't i don't think it's talking about your conscience i can't imagine it would be yeah the hardest to see fault. Um, I mean, it makes me think probably is a uh, when it, in the same book, Jeremiah, where he says he gets onto the false prophets because he said they 
prophesy a lie out of their own heart, saying peace, peace when there is no peace. Or your, or your, you mean out of their own desire, like sort of a base desire, or or your, or your, uh, you're, you're actually, it's kind of the opposite of your conscience. You're squishing Jiminy Cricket. You're saying, "Shut up, it's fine, it's fine. I can keep doing this." Like you're having, you're having a conviction. And you're saying, or, or like, someone comes to you and they're like, "Is this wrong?" And you're like, "No, no, no, that's fine, that's fine. You can like, and you're, you're kind of suffocating your conscience in a way. To me, that's what." It probably is referring to where it's saying the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Because they because he says other phrases like that, like they prophesy a lie out of their own heart, saying peace, peace when there is no peace. Uh, where is that? Yeah, that's a really good uh, explanation, Jason. Yeah, so they prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and a de- and a, the deceit of their heart. So um, he says, and the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesied lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy you a false vision. It's kind of like Ahab. When Ahab's like uh, killed that guy and steals his vineyard. And then he's, and, uh, and then all the prophets of Baal are saying, no, you, you're fine. You can, you can win the war. There's, you don't need to change at all. And then the one prophet's like, yeah, I saw, I saw your death. And he gets pissed, but whatever. <laughs> Oh, that bit is so funny. <laughs> when the two kings team up and he's like, all right, let's go. And he's like, see all these prophets that are, oh, then, no, it's so funny because he goes and he goes to him and he asks him and he's like, I know you're going to say something bad, like, but, but he wants, he like wants to hear it. But then he like gets all mad for hearing. He's like, see, I told you, you don't like me. He's got to- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then he ends up going into battle and he like dresses up as the other king or something and like gets all scared. I don't know. Yeah, the whole thing's hilarious. I mean, except for that he dies in the end. I guess that's not that funny. Yeah, there's this weird verse too. Um, I can't remember. It's either in the Chronicles telling you or it might be in Kings. Um, and I think it's translated different ways because the Hebrew is really obscure. But mine says like, in the harlot, oh no, in the dogs licked up the blood as the harlots bathe. Or something like that. And I'm like, that verse is just so freaking it's badass. It's so yeah, it's good, man. It's I don't I don't remember what it is, but I've looked it up in like different translations. And I'm like, that's not even close to what mine says. I don't know why it's so different. Oh, was it like by because I vaguely remember that verse? Maybe it's saying they licked his blood by some kind of pool or something. Like this is, was it, yeah, it says he dies first Kings 22 verse. 38 well i'll read 37 so the king died and was brought to samaria and they buried the king in samaria then someone washed the chariot at the pool of samaria and the dogs licked up the licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the lord which he had spoken like i don't even know what that word was that he had spoken <laughs> when did when did god say this well isn't that really though the thing with with job and ecclesiastes that what's I don't know nothing, but there's someone who does. And I have I have no choice but to defer to that someone. That's what this is? Uh how are you relating this to that? No, I jumped, I jumped back. No, 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 let's hear I I want you to tie these together. This would be good. The harlot's bathing in the isn't that what this is? Or well, the, it's just it's just well, it's like the word Joel. of the lord the word of the lord came to him, right? From oh, yeah, this yeah, yeah. this solitary prophet, and he's mm-hmm. like that. Well, yeah, maybe he didn't 
really believe them. That's fine. But but when I think back to what we were saying about it being enough, I think, well, it has to be because what other choice do we have? Because when we're left to our own devices and we're intellectually honest, everything's frays into nothing. And so we have to say, I don't know. That's the conclusion. I have no idea. Whoever says they know something does not yet know as they ought to know. I don't know, but there's someone who does. And I have no choice but to defer to him and to infer as the best I can what he said. And how long is, is a question. How long can I live the question uh, before I have to come to an answer? What's a reasonable amount of time for me to live into the question before I say, you know what? I can't really, really know, but I've got to do something. I've got to act, I've got to train, and I've got to correct. So what should I, what should I do? I've got to have an answer. That's the false bottom that I was, I was getting at with Cal, uh, what Cal kind of got it actually. But uh, we have to develop a false bottom, but it's not a false bottom. It's the best understanding of what we've been handed. Uh, and we say, I'm gonna stand on this because what else can I do? Christian nihilism. Yeah, I I guess that is, well, to me, a way of living a question is making a hypothesis and going with it and seeing if it works out. Yeah, that's true. And then when you, at what point do you stop testing and you're like, okay, this one kind of worked. I see where it has some holes in it, but do I test them at infinitum, you know? Infinitum, sorry, Cal. You can know. You can know what's healthy for you in the moment, at least, or more healthy than other things. Yes, more healthy than the past things. This is the best hypothesis yet. Should I keep on trying them? Or... Yeah, I don't know. I guess. Oh well, the the answer the finish to that verse is if any if anyone say that they know anything they don't know anything yet as they ought to know but if anyone love god the same is known of him so love heart and love goes on becoming more perfect so you never finish with the hypothesis jason do you know that me without you line that says oh, it's so good it's in pale horses i think it says Abide in me and I in you. But what exactly should I do? <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, you said, yeah, love. Okay, but what exactly am I supposed to do? <laughs> I probably... think, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, actually. Oh, I guess a big gap that I see in Christianity is like, basically the things that modern psychology happens, in my opinion, to get right about like self-love and even stuff like healing from trauma or like you can put it in terms of like your inner child. But basically, um, self I guess that at least to me, and I think for a lot of people, the appropriate place to start is with oneself because in the end you are kind of the most direct image of God that you have under your own hands. And I don't, we're given ourselves. I think at least in my conviction, probably the worst sin that I've done 
is all of the self-deprecation, all of the self-hatred, all of the self-harming stuff is bad, but we're inured to it because of this, and in part because of this morality of like, yourself doesn't matter, give to others, which I think is people trying to live the answers without coming through the process. In the end, uh, like, yes, okay, better to give than to receive and all of that and genuinely like loving outwards is the most meaningful thing, but that starts with you and it sort of does, I don't know, you, you can't serve from an empty vessel, right? Like also uh, even if the point is just to treat others well, which I think is a little weird because you're the only self that you have. And if all people are inherently valuable, then are you, anyway, even if that is the point, I've certainly seen with me that like the negative stuff I was doing to myself and not really caring about because it was just me. I do it to others. And then you see how harmful it is. And then you're like, okay, I gotta clean up, gotta clean up my act. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're in your head all day. How are you talking to yourself? Mm could stay there a long time you know my it it probably speaks more about me maybe than than all of all of humanity but my inclination has always been for myself like every inclination was always inward like how can i make this the best experience for me such that when i when i get fed the deny yourself stuff it's exactly the medicine i need to 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 be fulfilled that's interesting it's very different I guess I always identified as a person who was selfish because I was well ostensibly I don't know I guess more than being focused on other people I wasn't focused on myself but I didn't come out of that through trying to deny myself hey she's back um I I came out of it by like forming, starting to form genuine human connections. And then I'm like, whoa, like, cause before it had been when somebody else was happier, when I did something unselfish, it just felt like awful. Like I couldn't feel their happiness. It wasn't, didn't feel good at all. It felt like wrong, etc. But like when I wasn't self, I, I wasn't behaving selfishly or I don't behave selfishly because I'm a selfish person. It's just because there's not sufficient connection between me and the other person to where they're incorporated into myself so that I'm happy in them. And there's that connection. And then it just like naturally happens. Oh yeah, you know, I want to do things for other people. Because I think if I had come, or in the times that I was trying to be less selfish, by thinking about being less selfish or by thinking about, okay, myself last, them first, et cetera. What that was ingraining in me were patterns of like, I don't matter or like I matter less than other people. And in the end, harmful patterns and like the wrong reasons for doing so. Mm. It's just, it wasn't right.
that's interesting. I think my my sister Natalie has had a lot of the same experience as well. Where um, these are common girls too, yeah. It seems like she had a, a experience where it almost sounds like suffocating uh, mm-hmm. and a little bit horrifying um, because you. Yeah, you're like pursuing this path of of uh, self denial and yeah. letting other people and or trying to um, deny yourself so much that you're you're letting other people define who you are and you get so lost in that or something. To you, you can't you you're no help to yourself or anybody else because you're just uh, it's like a you experience some sort of disassociation or something yeah. at some point, and it's it's hard. Um, I try to understand it. I, I, I don't think I ever can to the degree that I don't think I experienced it. So I don't think I can know it like, like you know it or know it like my sister knows it. Um, but I do think it's real. I just don't have the, 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 the depths of it, I guess, or the, cause I haven't, I haven't really lived that. I don't think. Yeah. I guess like there are instances in which almost everybody, I would almost say almost definitely everybody is like harder on ourselves than on other people. I don't think it needs to be that way. Um, Like you would excuse things in other people that you wouldn't for yourself. You give them the benefit of the doubt and not to yourself. But this reminds me what you're saying. Has your book recommendation for your sister if she likes to read uh okay shannon hale it's called is it called ren what's it what's it called it's a it's a book in a series but this book it's forest born forest born really good book about it's sort of in a slightly fantasy world so but it's exploring like and really conveys the experience of being overwhelmed by the voices of other people and really not knowing who you are and trying to copy other people and trying to like give your entire self to them it's it's like really good so it's a for forest born by shannon hale yeah it's a book book four of four okay of the books of looking at it right now nice what was it what was the book that Last time we talked about this, Jason, the odds would be crazy it would be the same one. What is it? The book that we did. She started the conversation talking about a book. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, the um. Uh, it wasn't the same one. Yeah, it's one she's reading. Uh, it's had something like wolf. a wolf or something. Yeah, something yeah. to do with wolves. I can't remember. Oh, uh, doesn't matter. It's, uh, We've got it on record. It was. It, was in- it sounds really interesting. There was an idea in it that she mentioned too that had to do with I think some sort of Norse mythology that I thought was extremely uh, compelling um, too, but it's a, some, some, some idea of like the, the bones of the wicked are like the crows eat the, the crows pick the bodies of the wicked clean, you know, which is kind of almost goes with scripture. Like the wicked are cast out and they're not buried. And then the birds of the heavens will eat them. But then when the birds eat their flesh, they carry, the crows carry them off to, I don't even know if this is in Norse, Norse mythology. It was in her book, she said, but then they carry them off to hell or the god hell, Hela, the, god, uh, the goddess of hell, basically. 
and then I guess from there they're uh, reassembled as children or something like that in the in the womb of hell or something. It was something very strange like that, and I was like, that's really quite fascinating actually. I've still been thinking about this since we talked with her uh, when we had that conversation. Who else was on there? There's somebody else. But uh, Luke. Yeah, Luke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but just this idea that self-actualization is like the, the big end uh, in kind of today, it, it feels like uh, that to self-actualize should be the, the main goal. And I, and I kept wondering, what if, what if we just assimilated into you know, uh, just the, the big human fabric. You know? my, my, my individual story is not so different than everyone else's. Uh, the same things bef- before all men. Uh, uh, what, what if that happens? What do we lose? And it might be that we lose that which was made unique and, and special in us. Uh, but I don't know. I thought, well, if I just kind of flow into the the sea of uh of other human kinds and i I just identify myself as as human instead of mitch who does x y and z yeah it's not i don't think and when we were talking natalie it was kind of weird because i don't think i don't think her language for it was right like that's what i mean i feel like there's there's something really deep and profound where it's like in within the self-actualization is like you you're discovering your own identity in the particular but it has to be incorporated with like the universal as well or you're never gonna you're gonna be incomplete in a way um but if even still if like if you're just if you are just associating with what everyone else is trying to form you to be there is no there is no you're you lose your individuality in a sense yeah. so there's like there's a co-working of both and i don't know the right language for it because when Natalie phrased some things, I was like, like there is later, I was like, gosh, I wish like it didn't sound right the way, uh, like, cause there was, I can't remember what it was, but the, I think the language just quite isn't there, right? Or something. I don't know. Cause there seems to be a necessity of both. It wouldn't be good maybe to try to reach for the necessity of both. If, if my hands are like, I'm just like the head, I'm just like the shoulders. We're all the same here. Because yeah. I need the hands to do what hands do and the head and so on. Yeah, that's a but good comparison. It wouldn't be good either for the hand to be like, I'm like a one in a million hand. Mm. Like I'm a hand that's like made to do things hands have never done. Like yeah. Maybe that's, that's getting that's, closer. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think just that is good language. No, I think that is good because like where where the rest of the body would say, No, we want you to be a hand. We want you to be a hand. We want you to be a hand. And then it's like, and so like where you could say Natalie's like okay, I'll be a hand, I'll be a hand, I'll be a hand. That's like, and you just keep like, like, what do I know about myself? Like, and you go through that process of like, like you're talking about Abigail or something where you're constantly denying yourself to be what other people want to make you and you're not a hand at all. And they haven't even acknowledged your foot or something. And then once you discover your foot, you can kind of come back and be like, okay, well, I still need the rest of the body to actually be a foot. Um, but you had to somehow go and, and, and discover like, an experience it's i don't even want to say selfishness in a way like it's not like you're going and engaging in selfishness but you're discovering your individuality and seeing what you actually like who you actually are um and then you discover okay this is this is actually what i am I'm a foot not a hand or i'm an eye not a ear type thing i think that's probably a good comparison that passage there's several go ahead 
Oh, I, as on the word selfishness, I guess something that I think often goes too often forgotten is that we, we are all of us literally self-centered. I mean, if you're a self, your, your center is, is yourself. You can't really, you know, maybe you, what you, at least from my experience, what it feels like is you can incorporate others into yourself. In, in some senses, they may feel to be more deeply yourself than you are, but it's still the feeling of being a self. It's just that amplified and maybe even transported out of itself into another, but it's not the feeling of like, it's not, it feels like being yourself. It feels the same way as being yourself, just like more so. And that is one of those things that before I experienced it was not explained in a way that I understood it and caused me to do all kinds of harmful things. And like, yeah, anyway, um, and I guess on listening to others' voices and being shaped by others' voices, to me, when this has helped if you're surrounded by people who really love you instead of just people or forces who are trying to purely impose, because when someone really loves you, they don't just say, like, this is who you are, this is who you are. There's that reverence and like space almost. What did Rilke say? The true business of love is like guarding each other's solitude. Um, I have some, I don't quite understand Rilke sometimes, but I remember it. Anyhow, there's like this reverence and like this space and they're also ask, asking you who you are and wanting to know your own voice. And so like you're in dialogue with somebody or a voice that really loves you, it, it gives you also agency to self, to say who you are. It's like the dialogue. There's a good example of that in the Gospels. When, when, when Mary tells Jesus that there's no wine left at the wedding. Think about that in, that, in, in regards to what you just said, Abigail. Can you break it down for us? We're all sitting here. That she, she didn't tell him what to do? He said but my hour is not yet come, right? Remember? So she was calling him into, she was calling him into something, right? She, that's what she was doing. And then he, he had to exercise his own what agency, like you just mentioned, in order to, 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 to do the thing that she invited him to do. She didn't tell him to do it. She just said, there's no more wine left. <laughs> it's a very typical female thing to do actually <laughs> no more wine that honey <laughs> the guy's like oh the pressure i can't take it he's always nagging woman what is that to me what is that to i didn't <laughs> nag you i just said there's no more wine left <laughs> Go and do whatever yeah. he does. So she, she calls him into it, and, and then he has to exercise his own agency, right? Which is that his will is always, always oriented to the Father. And so, what does he do in the end? He, he turns the water into wine.
And the of course the feminine created the space, right? Yeah. To have that's what happens. That's what the feminine does. Creates the space. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah, like the true the a proper body is a space for each member to of the body to be itself fully, most fully, and discover what it is. Mm. Like a, if, a, if a community is working correctly, it's not a bunch of people like, yeah, there's space. I, like uh, somebody who loves you is a space for you to be yourself more fully with them. And maybe that, Maybe that insight like has to do with, because I think a lot about the sort of paradox in modernity, we have hyper individualism, but also hyper like conformity and those two extremes. And I guess it has to do with a lack of, or having almost forgotten what is genuine relationship and genuine community. So we think that the only options are like, yeah, me against the whole world or I'll just listen to everything you say and you get to tell me what I am. Sorry. Yeah. There's this quote, I don't know how much this is related. Of course it's from George McDonald again, but it was, it's from Lilith. But it just always stood out to me. Um, but he says, um, what do you say? Uh, let's see. As he spoke, he turned his back and instantly I knew him. He was no longer a raven, but a man above mm -hmm. the middle height with a stoop, very thin and wearing long black tail coat. Again, he turned and I saw him the raven. I have seen you before, sir, I said, feeling foolish rather than surprised. How can you say so from seeing me behind? He rejoined. Did you ever see yourself behind? Have you never seen yourself? He said, then he says, sorry. Did you ever see yourself behind? You have never seen yourself at all. Tell me now then who, who I am. I humbly beg your pardon, I answered. I believe you were once the librarian of our house, but more who I do not know. Why do you beg my pardon? Because I took you for a raven, I said, seeing him before me as plainly a raven as bird or man could look. And then this part was the part that I was thinking about. He says, you did yeah. me no wrong, he returned calling me a raven or thinking me one. You allowed me existence, which is the sum of what one can demand of his fellow beings. There you go. And it's like that part, you allowed me existence, which is the oh. sum of what one can demand of his fellow beings. Oh, no man, anything but to love one another. And Sherry's already made the tie between loving somebody and being essence, which participates in their existence. Yep. Mm, yeah, that's fair. So that's funny because that's, oh, this is quite good because isn't that the whole thing about like the super libertarian individualist thing is just like everybody just let each other exist and that becomes poisoned to where there's no community and there's no relationship at all. But if you understand existence properly in this way, it's like being a space for somebody else, that's love, that's the most intimate thing that there really is. And it's reciprocal reconstruction in the Verveki words. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right. It sounds like just let me live and let me exist is a really standoffish kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you have but to remember too from that from that McDonald quote. 
where she says, I say to them, oh, darling, and I throw them away and, and live them, right? I live them. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's everything. Like, she's not choosing which things she allows existence. This is the thing. We want to choose what we allow existence. What is, what is, you know, what does God say about Leviathan at the end of Job? Gets away. Leviathan gets away. <laughs> God says he swims away and leaves a wake. And his wake is the wake of like the, like the gray haired of the elderly, right? Which is symbolic of wisdom. The wake of, to me anyway, the wake of Leviathan is, is not the wake, but the, the trail of Leviathan is wisdom. We don't get to choose what we give existence. We have to say, oh, darling, and throw them away and live them. All of it. Interesting. That's the whole gist of the book of Job, in my opinion. I'm going to think about that, the wake being wisdom, because it says the serpent is the most cunning of all the creatures, too. That's really interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I think I had to jump off really quickly when we were talking about Mitch's question about what do you kill? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I finished my thought on that, or I, but but what I in a nutshell, what I wanted to say about that was that the, in the scriptural and spiritual language, God doesn't kill anything; He transforms it. Mm. You see, and that and that's how He kills it, right? Mm. So it's like, mm -hmm. um, does He transform it through death, like you were talking about? Well, yeah, because I mean, what happens to the caterpillar when the butterfly emerges? Where'd the caterpillar go? Right? Where'd he go? He 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 was he was absorbed into the cat into the butterfly. Is the butterfly caterpillar? No. You know, so like Jesus says, I said this to somebody the other day. Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new, right? He doesn't say, Behold, I make all new things. He says, I make all things new. That's transformative language. They already exist. And he's making them new. You know? So anyway, that, that's all I wanted to say to Mitch about the, what, what do you kill? You don't, the killing, you don't kill anything. It's all transformed. You know, like I said the other day, um, To Justin, I think it's in the last Job podcast. I said something like, "Does does anything ever really die?" Mm -hmm. Right. Like this is the the kind of the um, the problem I have with an annihilationism because you can't really without erasing the memory of all of creation and the entire cosmos. Right, you can't just erase a person's existence because they've already had just by looking at a star, they've had an impact on the whole universe. I remember you saying that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how do you annihilate them without annihilating everything? You know, 
Yeah, that was a fascinating point. That was really interesting. Yeah. Receiving yeah. the light, the light from the star way out in the universe into your your single little eye is connecting you to the, the whole universe in a way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So like Jess said, you know, he said, you know, when God talks about trampling down the wicked and so on, he's the way that he does it is by making Job the mediator for them, for the wicked. Imagine, you know, that's how God does these things. That's what love, that's love loving un, unto purity, as George MacDonald calls it, right? And that which is not lovely, it makes more lovely so that it can get its fill of loving. <laughs> that's that man-eating monster called love. monster pop up uh, title order morris what oh i was saying order morris like that's why it is just absolutely um requisite to have one's loves in the right to love the right things that have them in the right order i can mess you up otherwise Yeah. Well, this is, you know, George McDonald ends that whole thing with our, our God, and this is why our God is a consuming fire, right? Like, we don't, we don't know anything. We don't know who we are. We don't know what we want, because we don't know who we are. So if you don't know who you are, you can't know what you want. We don't know the difference between good and evil. We're not, we're not the judge. What is this category that we get for destruction? Is destruction another term for transformation? I don't know. That's a really good question, though. Uh, yes, you have. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because you have him saying, like, you know, I'm going to make this thing heap. I'm gonna destroy this place, make it a heap of ruins, a place for planting a vineyard, right? Uh, kind of what happens with the flood too. He floods the world, destroys it, and then Noah plants a vineyard. Um, and you have like the idea of like him making the land desolate, and then God says he's gonna pour out water on the desolate places. So it's like I don't, I don't really know. Um, I mean, I think it's a good question. I guess what I'm getting at is that he could make an argument that it would be. That there could be a restoration, like the after the destruction. Post destruction. It's post destruction. And in that way, it the destruction be, is a transformation. Yeah, you could do that. But then you have, like, like, I do want to point out the example of Sodom and Gomorrah, too, where it seems to say, although, you know, then in Ezekiel it says they're going to be justified, but there are other verses where I say there's smoke, a sense, forever. It's kind of like a, uh, an, a symbol or an emblem or whatever, like, a, something to look look upon and and uh see that, that so, that's not the way so there's a kingdom that can be shaken and you should look towards instead a kingdom which cannot be shaken which will remain after 
the, the kingdom that can be shaken is shaken. Uh, that which remains is that which is did not shrink back and was destroyed in the in the Hebrews kind of language. So you're now there's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We got to be thankful and and worshipful and reverent and awestruck because our God is a consuming fire. So the fire, the God that is a consuming fire, this example in Hebrews is what's it consuming? Is it consuming wow. it to transform it? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Probably because it seems like, yeah, the love, like that quote from George McFallon said, love loves unto purity. And so it does have this idea of, and even with like the idea of fire, like everything goes through the fire and it says like, the you know, some things are burned off, hay, wood, stubble, um, what comes out is gold, you know, what, what, what stands are the metals. Um, so yeah, I don't know, it, but yeah. Um, yeah, who shall, uh, what always makes me think is that verse in Isaiah, who shall dwell with everlasting burnings. Um, well, you get similar images in Hebrews too, surrounding the consuming fire stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, let me read that real quick. Because it, it's weird, the one in Isaiah, like, because he's like talking about quality. It's like eternal transformation. Yeah, because the other ones, it's like when it talks about fire, it's usually giving you like, uh, like material things as examples. And then Isaiah, it's like he's talking about qualities, even, which is kind of interesting. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, oh, man. Uh, okay, yeah, it says the sinners of Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with? the devouring fire who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings he who walks righteously and speaks uprightly he who despises the gain of oppressions who gestures with his hands refusing bribes who stops his ears from the hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil he shall dwell on high his place of defense the fortress of the rocks bread will be given him his water will be sure your eyes will see the king and his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. I don't know. That's that's a like a positive fire, right? To what? Was that this everlasting fire was reserved for those who are righteous? That was in Zion. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. You're all going through the fire. Like I that's think interesting. When you're whether you're in hell or heaven, it's like you got to go through the fire. Because it says he off. says. The sinners in Zion, and so if you pair it to, and compare it to Hebrews, uh, there's the heavenly Zion, heavenly Jerusalem. It's like uh, the, so, sinner, the sinners in that are not going to be happy when love shows up on the scene, and they they're they're enjoying the gain of oppressions. It's like no, that fire is not going to put up with that. This is interesting. It's like you can think of fire not consuming is a good thing because it's not destroying or you can think of it not consuming is a bad thing because it's not destroying because sometimes you so if if i'm all that's there then i don't want to be consumed but if there's me plus false self false self false self then yeah. i i want destruction i want consumption yeah 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 i think that's what cal was saying too where he's like it's 
yeah, it's destroying the false self. It's destroying the, the part of you that likes, you know, uh, taking bribes, uh, the part of you that's envious, like all this false self. And he was, what did Cal say? Like, um, it's because when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. It's because he can't have a relationship with a lie. And so if it's your false self, it's like, he, it just, it, yeah, you can't have a relationship with that. There's it's no category for done. a lie that's um, personified top to bottom. Wait, what do you mean? Oh, like it's fully embodied? Yeah, that's personal. That's conscious. Because I still deal with some of these categories we get. Like, don't be like those who shrink back and are destroyed. It's like, what is, what is destruction here? This is like a person who's being destroyed. I draw and back to Is it the case that their destruction is a means to their restoration? Yeah. I mean, no matter. Because what? Trample death by death, you know? Yeah. Uh, and my answer to that is, is yeah, of course. Because the, the fire to me seems to be restorative. It, it seems to be, uh, that, that's the nature of it. Yeah, I just oh, yeah. got a message here, but uh, we don't have to read it. Yeah, I might have to. I don't know why Abigail went either, but I'm kind of wearing out. So, oh, there she is. Yeah, I uh, I was eating. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I might, I might not stick restoring that energy that Jason is losing. Yeah. Now we I can do, call I it. We get to the end of. But I haven't opened it because I was like, should I? Because that's it? like another two hours worth of. Of juice right there, man. If you open we that, we're gonna be sponsored. Here till Hear this. this is I've only had one today, actually. Well, Jason, we actually did make it to chapter four, so we're <laughs> we're making progress. I like that last line for who can bring them to see what will happen after them. Christ the Lord. Amen. <laughs> uh so it's it's still exciting we're very, we're going very slowly i think but to get to four is nice we've only got uh six no eight more to go sounds good yeah it'll take a and while <laughs> as a bonus i got to meet sherry and Abigail. so i mean in a more personal way than just hearing them yeah uh, nice oh yeah you haven't have you not been in a conversation with them yet no, I don't think so. Oh, I don't think so. So that was nice. Well, yeah, that's good. Mitch is a great friend. We argue sometimes, but it's always in good fun. And there's a picture of us at, Craig, at Craig's wedding. We definitely did. Our, our mutual friend, Craig, we were arguing about something, the Trinity, and we set the flowers on fire at his wedding. It wasn't as bad as it sounds, but... <laughs> it was beautiful. That's one of the only actually times that we've actually hung out in person, really. Are you yeah, guys it is, actually. The, are you guys in close vicinity to each other? Yeah, within a few hours. Two, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Two or three hours, yeah. Yeah. Just nice. don't... Yeah. Someday. Someday we'll meet up. Yeah. Well, it's nice talking to everybody. Yeah. Well, thank you all for Yeah, doing thanks this. for inviting me, Jason. That was oh, nice. he's, you're welcome. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, I'm hopping off here. It's, uh, yep. it's 11. I got to travel tomorrow with my mom and my sister. We're going westwards to Red, Redwoods. Do you know oh, that? I, I thought I told you. I, I heard that. Yeah, that's really cool. I've always yeah. wanted to go. 
So I got to finish packing and stuff too. It shouldn't take long though. But yeah, all these Hello. ladybugs. Lady skater. Thank you, Abigail, for coming too. This is great. It's always fun. Yeah, to it was to nice you. to talk to you too, Abigail. Maybe we'll get a chance to do what we want to do soon. Yeah. Oh, I did have Mysterious. one thought. Oh, and no, I just was like, we should get on Zoom because I admire Sherry's, Sherry's mind and worldview. Um, but yeah, on like the, I guess I had one more thought on the subject of Mitchell said the fire sometimes it's good because it doesn't consume, but then another sense it's bad because it doesn't consume. From another angle, I think love, another side of love's being inexorable is that uh, God loves you way more than you love you and every mm -hmm. little piece and he won't leave. He's not just going to throw away or give up on a little piece. No. I no. think a lot of the torture, a good portion of the torture of, you know, purgatory and hell and that refining process is that at a certain point, the person under it is just like, can we just be done? Can I just like be annihilated? Like, yeah. or can this part or can this person or this aspect of me or something that I just don't see any value in it. But God is so particular to pick out every little thing that has some potential and bring that to life and it's it's process but it's a process yeah that's right yep exactly yeah, fun. gotta read that chapter mitch i think it's called that night so it's it, it gets at that idea of the yeah being tortured almost to be yeah we gotta get back in that one too i already finished it and i'm going back around Oh, I didn't recognize. I thought you were holding up Fantasties because no, the art Lilith. was so similar. Lilith, I can send you the PDF though. There is a I sent it That's to Cal because cool. it it was um there's the idea of yeah, where um the love is yeah, kind of loving you to the point of um almost wanting to be annihilated. Oh yeah. When when Mara when Mara when when they say to Mara, don't when the children say to Mara, don't are you gonna give her scratches? Yeah, right. You're gonna hurt her with your scratches or something like that. Yeah. And then she says, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a part, this part right here. It says it was the recoil of being from annihilation. So yeah, he gets into like, I don't know. It's fascinating. This guy was just me. Gary, what? Oh, Rilke, do you have? Do you have any of his his work, his volumes? I have. Or? I have um, Okay, my memory is not good with titles, but I've got let, uh, letters to a young poet, and then I've got um, somebody in the comment section re recommended it to me, and I bought it right away. It's it's oh, what's it called now? It's about death. It's um, the dark. Oh, what's it called? Shoot, it's letters yep. he wrote to people who lost loved ones. Oh, it's more letters. I didn't realize he had another collection it's more of letters. letters. Yeah. And I think he has one novel, uh, but I, I mostly have poetry. My wife read his one novel and, and liked it well enough. And then I, I would read that. And then I've got also um, um, Oh, shoot. My brain's not working very good right now. Is it a poetry collection or? Yes. Oh, yes. Book of Hours or Book of Images? Yeah, Book of Hours is so. Book of Hours is so amazing. Mm -hmm. That's what got me hooked. Oh, well, I had read, I, I'd never read his poetry. I read Letters to a Young Poet pretty early yeah. on. And then my wife had 
book of hours and I just sort of dumb it through it. I was like, oh, and then I got book of images, which is also phenomenal. Oh, I yeah. Really I dense and you can just read that for years. Yeah, you could read, you can read them over and over again. And you know what? They'll always make you feel good. They'll always make you feel good. It's and it's incredible. Like they some sometimes and you know some of his poems are like I don't know ten or twelve lines and they just take your breath away. Mm. You just I look at sometimes I look at some of his work and I think how does anybody do that? I don't know. It's a mystery. Just yeah. everything that he puts together, the way that, that it comes together. It's amazing. Yeah, love it. So, Abigail and Sherry, if you guys need a Zoom account, whenever you guys are wanting to talk, you're always welcome to use mine um, if you need okay. that. But, um, yeah. So, just let me know. Sounds good. All right, guys. All right, yeah, thanks again. Thanks again. Yeah, good night, all. Have a great night.